And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% and on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big Sean McCarthy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, yes, it is happening. Another edition of the greatest MMA podcast out there, the Weighing In Show with my man, the real punk, Josh Thompson. We have got all kinds of good things to talk about. We've got exceptional news from the Bellator crew. We've got a great fight coming up on Saturday with the world title at the welterweight division, Usman versus Burns. Josh, how excited are you for everything that is going on in your life and the world of MMA? I'm I'm freaking pumped right now, baby. I'm so pumped right now, and I'm so glad you didn't introduce podcast, Dave, because the crowd would have went, boo, boo, <laughs> boo, just start throwing tomatoes and, and trash oh, and cans. Yeah, they would have just, yeah. Anyways, back to myself. <laughs> it was just good stuff, man. I'm excited. I got so amped up. Everyone's been texting me and, and tweeting me and pushing it out like, hey, what's going on? Bellator's doing big things. It's so funny because everyone's like, I cannot wait for Yoel Romero and, and Anthony Johnson and Rumble with the fight and this and that. Then the fight gets announced that it's really going to happen. Everyone's like, well, I wish it would have happened in the finals. There's, oh, no, Jesus, there's, yeah. no, guarantee <laughs> there's no guarantee that either it, one of them is going to get there. The whole and thing. I, I was trying to talk about, like, hey, like if they do fight in the first round, at least we know we get to see the fight. Let's just say one of them loses and the other one gets to the finals. We'll, we may never see that fight then because one guy's going to be occupied for the whole year while the other guy's fighting, you know, maybe another time, but it won't be against him. Like it just, it made sense. Get it out there, get it done. That's the fight a lot of people wanted to see. Phil Davis earned his title shot against Nemkov. Machida and, and Bader is a, is a rematch. And you know, it's like that fight makes sense. And I'm going to butcher this guy's name. But Yag Shemiradov. Yag Shemiradov is going to make his Bellator go. debut against um, Corey Anderson. So this is going to be good, man. I'm amped and pumped, not just for the 205-pound tournament, but I'm also pumped to see Pitbull and Sanchez, too, because the first fight was good, but both of them have gotten so much better since then. So, I mean, there's just so much, so much going on. I mean, not to mention Burns and Usman this weekend. And how could I forget about Archuleta and Pettis, you know, as well in Bellator. And then the move, the move to Showtime. Like, that's that's huge. That's that's because, like, everyone has this nostalgia about the strike force days. And then I said, look, as much as that brings back the memories, this is bigger. The reason why it's bigger, the quality of guys that we have right now, which people will never give credit to. I know, I know, you know, because I was part of the strike force thing though, as well. I understand they're never going to get credit until apparently they go to the UFC and then they're all going to be great and wonderful there. Okay. But the thing is, is these, these group of guys that we have right now are better than those guys. Not in all weight classes, but I'm saying the 35 pound weight class is phenomenal. In the in the you in Strike Force, we didn't have that. We barely didn't have that weight class. No. You know, and 145, sure, we had some 145 pound guys, but they they weren't great. And there wasn't really a weight class. There was 55 and above. 
Our guys at 135, 145 are amazing in Bellator. The 155-pound, he needs to add a couple here and there, which there's talks that they are working on that as well. We've got a stud in, in Douglas Lima. We've got a lot of guys that are coming up as well. Yaroslav Amosov, who is undefeated at 25-0. The guy he just beat, Logan Storley, who's they had a barn burner of a fight. I mean, that weight class, Jason Jackson. Jason Jackson, baby. That right there. I mean, he's a phenomenal fighter. Still have Ed Ruth. We've got all these Neiman other guys. Gracie. Neiman Gracie. How did I forget Neiman Gracie? There's guys that are in there. I just feel like this is kind of what we need. We need to make sure that now, like they announced it yesterday, we have a home. That was the problem from the beginning. It went from Spike to Paramount to, to CBS Sports. I mean, the great platform CBS Sports was, but it wasn't our home. This now is the home. They announced that this is the home. People now, they understand where they can find us at. We will be there religiously on Friday nights. It can't. You can't ask for a better situation, to be honest. You know, and then if there's a trickle down of us going to CBS, you know, big CBS, you know, once or twice a year, hopefully more, hint, hint, you know, but it just, it just brings excitement in terms of this is where we're at. We are here and people can just click their, their TV and their remote and say, there's Bellator. That makes it easier for everyone to build their promotion. I agree with you. I think it's a huge factor that you now have a home. You know exactly. If you want to watch Bellator, you know exactly where to go. It's a premium channel. That doesn't make, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you're not going to get as many viewers and stuff. Yeah, probably not. But that's okay because what the viewers get is a quality product and they're going to enjoy it and they're there for it. So that's awesome. It's one of the things that I've always, I mean, I, I hate one of the things I hate that happens even with the UFC is you don't know where they're going to be. Are they going to be on ESPN? Are they going to be on ESPN two? Is it ESPN plus this time? You know, even with that, cause they first, you know, they had Fox and versus and fuel and all these different networks. And you had to actually switch stations even during the event. I hate that. I can't yeah. stand that. It's just cause you know, it's, it's because of me. I know I'm old and simple. But you know what? There's a lot of older guys out there watching MMA, and if you make it simple, they will do it. Just don't make it any more complicated. And being on Showtime, they got one place to go to watch the fights, so that is outstanding. And Showtime has a great reputation with you know what they did with Strike Force, what they've done with Showbox for a long time. Now that HBO no longer has boxing, you know it's a nice compliment that combat sports are still on showtime and they are actually building them up from uh, what they are so it, it's a great home for bellator and i'm happy to be there yeah i have to tell you i know several people um that are like in their you know mid 50s late you know early late 40s mid 50s in that era of old old people um <laughs> but they said the same exact thing that you said is that when you know UFC at first with the ESPN? It was like, okay, look, the prelims are on ESP on ESPN Plus or the app or something like that, or or they were on ESPN. And then, okay, if you want to watch the the main card, you have to go to ESPN Plus on the app. It was like, look, this is just too much flopping around to watch a show. And they had some difficulty in the beginning. I think fans have now started to come around on that, and they've learned how to navigate it. They've bought the you know their ESPN app. The thing is, is with Showtime, you'll get to get the you get the whole card right there on one channel, which is nice, you know? And so uh, that makes it easier for, you know, for old people like yourself to just tune in and watch the show. Got to make life easy for the old people, mister. It's also a lot of solid content on Showtime. So you're getting like top premium. Yeah. 
there's the other thing though with the Showtime situation is that when when people are like, oh yeah, like Showtime has more more subscribers. I don't know what you call them subscribers. Uh, yeah, so they got they got more people that pay their subscriptions for Showtime than they do CBS Sports. Like, well, yeah, why'd you guys? I said, yeah, the benefit of being on CBS Sports was the fact that you knew when they were flipping to CBS Sports, they were looking for sports. Yeah. It says CBS Sports. With Showtime, you're trying to attract people that watch Showtime or have Showtime as a premium channel. And they're flipping through and, oh, wow, there's fights. Let me just check this out. And then there they are. And you're trying to gain new fans. That's what that's what that's what's nice about this is that because there's a lot of people that we have lost, I think, over the years from going to Spike to Paramount to the switching channels. We were remember we were on the zone, the zone. And then then, you know, then CBS Sports, we lost some of our viewers because of that. Like, it's too complicated to follow you around. Now, knowing that Bellator is at Showtime, this is where it will be. It'll be like, okay, look, every Friday night, just click it on, boom, it could be there or every other Friday night or, you know, in the, in April, it'll be every Friday night for the first three weeks. So, and that's absolutely amazing as well. So, like, if you have interest, and I'm sure that they'll show some replays here and there on on the same net on Showtime as well, like they did before when it was Strikeforce. Yeah, and the, I will I just love the fight that they're opening it up with on April 2nd. Pitbull against Sanchez, that is going to be an incredible fight because the first one was outstanding. It went to that fifth round, and it was anybody's fight. In my opinion, they were 2-2 going into that last round, and Pitbull pulled it out. I thought he won the fight, but Sanchez is a guy, look, he's going to make adjustments, and he is going to push the pace on this fight, and he's the kind of guy that can make the champion make a mistake and he'll take advantage of it because he's good everywhere. This is one of those, you've got, you know, two unbelievably good fighters facing off. This is going to be just an outstanding start to the Showtime era. I think both of them are just, they're so much better than they were the first time that they fought. And they didn't fight too long ago, which is crazy to think. Like, they didn't fight too long ago. And it was a great fight. Um Patricio had fought a smart fight in the first three rounds, and then Emmanuel Sanchez picked up the pace in the last two rounds. It just wasn't enough to get the job done. I think in this scenario where Patricio right now is, when people just exude that confidence and the things that he's, you know, being the champ champ after, you know, beating Michael Chandler for the lightweight title, those positions, it makes you feel so much better about who you are and what you're doing is working in the gym. And he's just going to continue to grow since these moments have happened since he's fought Emmanuel Sanchez. Emmanuel Sanchez, though, is something that somebody that he's just changed a little bit of his game. He went from, he's got now a nutritionist. I think he happens to be his girlfriend or fiance. I think is, um, you know, who is there with him 24 seven, making sure that he's on track. He said his last fight, he had the best weight cut ever. Never had, it wasn't difficult at all. Whereas before he struggled, you know, to get his weight down during camps. Um, and I feel like he just, he's walked in, to when we've seen him at the last couple of uh, performances he's had, he's walked around the casinos and the events like the happiest person, the most confident person. He's got always, he's got these great one-liners everywhere he goes and uh, he lets you know what they are, but he's got it. And he just exudes that confidence that he's the guy that's going to get it done against he uh, Patricio. He absolutely is so confident in his ability. I mean, you know, the, <clears throat> the real difference is this. Both guys are outstanding on the ground. Both guys have great stand-up games. I would say that Sanchez has a more diverse stand-up game than Pitbull does, but 
Pitbull has that ace in his back pocket. He's got the power. Sanchez is a volume fighter. He hits you with a ton of volume. Patricio, he'll hit you with some volume, but he hits with power. And he just relies on that power to get the job done. And it has worked for him so well throughout his career. I know he's going to go in there and he's going to try to establish himself in the center of that cage. Let Sanchez have to come towards him and then he'll try to pick his spots while Sanchez is trying to put that volume on him. It's going to be really interesting to see how they just alter what occurred in that first fight coming into the second fight, what they're both going to try to change. So, okay, well, let's uh, let's get into the fact that, like, the winner of this is going to fight AJ McKee, who's basically the hottest prospect at 145 pounds in the world right now. ESPN had him the top, you know, top number one fighter. He was number he, one under 25 uh, and under. 25 and under. If you're 25 years old and under, he was the number one prospect in the world. You know, and, and that's what ESPN says, and I couldn't agree with them more. Just, you know, wanted to make sure that everyone understands that ESPN said it, not me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, what we what people don't get is how big AJ McKee is. Yeah. I mean, he would be it. He I think he kills himself to get to forty five. He's just been fortunate I, enough and young enough. Yeah, and yeah, he's, he's he's young enough to get down. But I think after if he is able to beat Patricio, I could see him going to fifty five and trying to test it out there as well. He's a big, big guy. You know, when people talk about Max Holloway being big, I mean, I would say that AJ is probably a little bit bigger than him. He's at least as big. He's, at, he's as tall and he's more muscular. Yeah. He carries more muscle on his frame. He's he's just a super athlete. Yeah. And just the way he has grown up with the man that he grew up with, he is bred to be a fighter. He's a good person. He's a good human being. He is an incredible athlete and he is an incredible fighter. You know, you could take everything, you know, when they're talking about, you know, his run through this tournament because he's going to have to win four fights to win the Grand Prix. He's already won three. And you take a look at those three. You know, he had an eight-second knockout of Georgie Carhanian. He had the the fight with Derek Campos that went into the third round, but he blew out his knee in the first round and tried to get the fight over with quick, kind of got a little tired, and then settled in and got the submission. And then look at the submission that he got against Darian Caldwell. Most people have never seen. You know, they're, you know I think it was uh, Luke Thomas is the one that named it the guillotine, even though it's not a choke at all. So you really can't call it a guillotine uh, variation. It's a neck crank, but you know, he's the guy that pulled it off. He pulled it off in a high level fight with an ex champion. And right now he is El Fuego. He's on fire, Josh. I mean, he is just oozing with confidence. He believes. This is a guy that wrote himself a million-dollar check when he was a kid, and now I think Bellator might be writing him one, too, if he can carry this with one more win. Okay, so let's do the comparison. If he fights Patricio, he's got his hands full. I don't think he can sub Patricio. I don't think he can take Patricio down. But I do think on the feet, he does pose problems for him because of the reach and the speed and the athleticism and the way he moves side to side and that footwork. I think he poses a big threat for him on the feet but he's got to stay out of that punching range of Patricio because if you touch that chin, man, it could be over. It doesn't matter who you are. If Patricio touches your chin, it could be lights out. No but doubt about that. But the one thing that is different, you know, if you're going to take that matchup and say, all right, we talked about Patricio against Emmanuel and Emmanuel being a volume fighter. Look at AJ. He's got power. 
Yeah. AJ can put your lights out too. And AJ has length. So Patricio is going to have to make some adjustments and his footwork has got to get him inside. He is not as fast as AJ McKee. You know it. And I know it. Yeah. Okay. He's not as athletic as AJ McKee. So he's definitely not as tall or as long as AJ McKee. He's got a lot working against him in this fight. The one thing he does have, he's got experience. He's got confidence. He's been there. He's done it. And he, he always seems to find ways to pull those off, but against AJ McKee, I think it might be his most difficult fight if he gets to that and gets past Emmanuel Sanchez. But if we were to flip the roles and say it's not Patricio and Emmanuel Sanchez was there, that fight to me is very interesting because very. can AJ McKee handle the pressure of Emmanuel Sanchez? But could AJ McKee's speed and power get to Emmanuel Sanchez and drop him and get him out of there? There's a lot of things that play in this factor. Whereas I think Emmanuel Sanchez on top, sure he's good, but I think he's his jujitsu is better off of his back. But do you want someone like AJ McKee who's tall, long, and lengthy standing over you? Absolutely nope. not. So that fight to me stylistically makes for a really fun fight. But oh, I yeah. think all the fans are really looking forward to that Patricio versus AJ McKee to really solidify who is the best 145-pounder in the world. Well, I loved when Mauro Ronaldo is talking to AJ McKee and he's got, you know, Emmanuel Sanchez and the champion in Patricio there. And he asked him, he says, you know, you know, who do you, he goes, I want Emmanuel Sanchez to win because I want to beat him for the championship. And then I want to move up to 155 and take the title from Patricio. You know, I, I don't think he's lying. That's exactly what he wants. Yeah. You know, and that might be what, you know, he tries to do if, you know, he gets those wins, but he's going to have to, you know, fight one of the best fights of his life to get by either guy because they will be the best fighter he has ever faced. I guess that leaves that you just brought up a good point though. Like Patricio's the champ champ. If AJ and him fight for the 145 pound title, or the World Grand Prix title, and as well as the title, and he wins those belts, and then he goes up to 55, who Patricio is the champion there as well, do they automatically just fight? Do another rematch? Yes. To <laughs> I right, don't like, think so. Like, what do you do? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> do, you, do you have AJ McKee fight Patricio first and see if he can get past his brother and then have him fight Patricio? Does Patricio vacate? I mean, like, that brings up a lot of interesting conversations, I guess. I'd like to be a fly on the wall in the in the showtime room with the doctor offices. Say that, that, that's why we don't get paid the big yeah. bucks like Scott Coker. He's got to come up with the decisions on that. That's stuff, crazy, but, man. That's you know, but it's all good. There's not a bad. It's, there's not a bad scenario. You take a look at it and you go, could you do it if it was if it was a fast uh, fight? Not sure you do it, but if it was a, a just a knockout drag, you know, knuckle dragon fight were really close, really entertaining, incredible. Yeah, you could do it. If AJ ended up being the guy that he gets it, you could say, all right, let's do it at 155 now. Yeah. You could. You could. Look, I'm just amped to see who wins between the Patricio and Emmanuel Sanchez fight to see who's going to fight AJ McKee. Oh, yeah. Um, we Everyone had talked about it for years, how good AJ was. I think he's proved it now, him being in the finals of the World Grand Prix for uh, Bellator. And we're going to find out. And Patricio has already beat Emmanuel Sanchez. Now getting into that title, or getting into that conversation of potentially making it to the finals against Emmanuel Sanchez. I'm pumped for this fight because it's just going to be action-packed. Emmanuel said he's just going to walk him down and get it done. And I think Patricio is going to stand his ground, like you were saying, right in the middle of the cage and say, 
come to Poppy. And we're going to yep. see what happens. And I can't wait for that. I cannot wait for that. Um, you've got Ryan Bader and you've got um and Corey Anderson. Gosh. <laughs> Yagshir Muradov. Yagshamuradov. Yagshamuradov. Okay. And I bet you it's you probably it's probably not right. But <laughs> Yagshamuradov. <laughs> you've got me repping this name right now. And when we get on TV, it's gonna be It'll be all in your head. There you something go. different. Watch. <laughs> um, this is gonna be a good this is a good starts off to be a good car with these two fights. Um, do you know, are these both five round fights? I believe that they are all five round fights based upon the fact that the champion is in the tournament. Yep. He's fighting, you know, against Phil Davis. And so since there's five round fights there, all of the uh, Grand Prix fights will be five round fights. So that's awesome. I believe that. Yes. And so that, you know, the co-main event being Corey Anderson against Yaksha Murdoff, that will be a five round fight. And it's going to be a good one because, look, Corey Anderson came from an, uh, an outstanding wrestling background. And I can tell you, I've been around Yagsha Murdoff. He's a very good wrestler. He utilizes his wrestling very well. So it's going to be a question of who's got the better hands because they're going to have a tough time taking each other down. It's not going to be easy for either one. And, you know, Corey Anderson has proven that he's got good stand-up when he utilizes his wrestling. But... I don't think he's going to be able to utilize his wrestling real well against his opponent. He is a good wrestler, comes out of ACA, and uh, he was the champion there. He's a tough dude. Corey Anderson did not get an easy draw on this. You know, this guy's tough. Yeah, Yogg Shamiradoff, though, is only 5'11". Corey Anderson's what, 6'3", 6'4", 6'3". So that being said, like the height, look, in the wrestling aspect of it all, Yogg Shamiradoff is probably going to have the easier time of getting in on the legs. But the fact is, if he's if Corey Anderson is able to use the fence, his leverage, spread the legs, and try to try to keep the pressure on him, it's gonna be hard for him to lift him and get him off the fence. It's gonna make for a fun fight. Um, what I always feel like when look this being on Showtime, a lot of people in these first couple shows they're gonna be glued to the TV watching this, and this is when a star can be born. So Yarchmiradov has a good chance of becoming a star if he's able to get Corey out of there. Corey just has a good chance of solidifying himself as, hey, I'm one of the best 205 pounders in the world. You yep. know, and you you're you are supposed to, Corey Anderson's supposed to be getting these guys out of here because he's coming from another organization. He was the champ over there. Being here, everyone's thinking, we all know Corey, okay, but we don't know this guy. He should be able to get him out of there. That's not the case, man. These guys, there's good guys all around the world. And we've talked about this several times. There's great guys in one. There's great guys in the PFL. There's great guys in ACA. Great guys in Bellator, great guys obviously in the UFC. You have all these promotions. They all have phenomenal fighters. Not all the best fighters in the same promotion. And so this is one of those fights where the casual fan at home is going, ah, Corey's got this. It's not that easy. So it, this this is one of it's a tough, it's one of those gotcha fights for Corey Anderson. It is. This is a tough fight. I'm gonna, I'm gonna clarify something because I know that our listeners are gonna start typing in the comment section that Josh. You said Corey Anderson was the champion. No, he was saying that Yaksha Muradov was a champion. Oh, thank you. In, in ACA. So let's clarify that. We know that Corey Anderson wasn't a champion yes, yet. Thank you. He's a, he was a winner of the ultimate fighter. We'll give him that, but not a champion yet. But that's what he's in Bellator to, to prove that he is the champion. I was talking too fast and all got bumbled, bundled yeah, together, right? Not, yeah. I just knew. I was like, everyone, you know, they, they, they hear what they want. It's like they, I, I said a thing about Gilbert Burns being at Bellator. You know, John, Gilbert Burns never fought in Bellator. I never said he did. 
<laughs> I said he was at Bellator because he was cornering one of the oh, fighters. Man. And so that, he, that's at Bellator. Yes. I never said he was fighting at Bellator, but you know, that's just the way they take it. So I just wanted to clear that up. But there's already 100 comments. Corey yeah. Anderson, Corey Anderson, uh, right now, he's happy. He is, you know, this is a, he's an emotional guy as far as feeling good and having confidence. And right now, Corey Anderson is in as good a space as I've seen him in in a while. So I expect a great performance from him. I really do. Yeah, I mean, like I said, when you when you allow fighters to come in, just perform, not have to worry about all the other business shit and all that, whether you're promoting me or not, you're put right into the spot that he's always wanted, an opportunity and a chance to become the champion and make yep. a shitload of money. Every fighter, that's all they've ever wanted. So if you can give me that opportunity, where do I sign? And he 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 came over. It's like, hey, this is what I want to do. Scott Coker sat him down. So this is probably what we're working on. Let's do it. And he that's why that's why he's happy, you know. And on the other side, you've got Ryan Bader fighting Leona Machida in a rematch. Oh, I know. I, I did that first fight, you know, and, and that was it. You talk about a fight, you know, and as a referee, maybe not a lot that you have to do because they're fighting both clean and everything. But everything you're seeing in that cage is one guy just being able to control the other. One guy starting to just do more and more in touching his opponent, the opponent getting frustrated. And it was exactly what happened that Ryan Bader made this big rush at Lyoto. And that was what gave Lyoto a chance to touch him on the chin and just knock him out in that first fight. But they're at different places in their career. That's when Bader was coming up and Machida was already the, one of the top guys in the world. And now it's a little bit different. Leota's a little bit older. Bader's the guy. He had just lost the championship as far as the light heavyweight championship to Nemkov. So this is going to be a different fight. I, I just see it as a different fight. I think Ryan is a more confident fighter. He's a more skilled fighter. He has, I think, some of the answers that he didn't have in that first matchup. But as we both know, Leona Machida is just a handful. He is so difficult to get a, get a good line on, to understand how you're going to hit him and everything. And he can be frustrating. He can frustrate any professional fighter just with the skill set that he has. So I would agree with you up until almost that very last point. He was frustrating. The speed is slowed down so much. True. The feints aren't as effective anymore. And I don't want to try to take anything away from him and his career, but he's not, like you said, he's not the same fighter he was when they fought the first time. Ryan Bader, though, has grown since then. But that being said, what do we always talk about? Confidence is key. Coming off of a knockout loss to Nemkov to lose his title to him, now coming back and fighting Machida, someone who else has also knocked you out. That right there, kind of, how much does that play in your mind? And what are the odds and the percentages of two people that have fought before and who won if they win again? It's like something like 80%, I believe. Something along those lines. The person who won the first fight is pretty much almost going to win the second fight. Now, don't quote, obviously. Except years have gone are, by. When they are older. Yeah. And all of a sudden it starts to change. It does. But it, it is an interesting fight. I am surprised that they matched them up in the first round. But it does make sense given that it is a, a second matchup. Yeah, it, it makes total sense because if you're looking at, you look at all of the matchups. And the one thing I will say, they did Nemkov, the champion, no deals. No, <laughs> he did not make his life easy because if he gets past Phil Davis, 
Then he gets the winner of Rumble Johnson yeah. versus Yoel Romero, and then he'll get the final fight. You look, you go, well, obviously they weren't looking to uh, to you know, make his life easy. No. So you know that's a rough go. But when you take a look at the pairings, they they do make sense. I'm going to talk about you know Rumble Johnson and Yoel. Our boss Scott Coker called me and said, "Hey, you know what? You know we've got this. What do you think?" I said, "Boss, you got to put that fight together first. I go, don't take the chance of that fight not happening. That's a fight everyone wants to see. I want to see it. Everyone wants to see those guys match up. You got to do it. And he goes, yeah, I think I'm going to do it. And then he did it. So you look and you go, way to go, Scott Coker. Awesome. Because we wanted to see it. What? Did you just try to to no, take not credit taking, I'm saying for Scott Coker putting this fight first? No, no. I said he asked me the question. I said, did you, you got to do it. Did you guys hear this at home? Did you, I guess listen to this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> This is the John's head going boom, 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 boom. No, no, no. Oh, this is great. But if you look at it seriously, that let's, fight had to. It had to go. Let's get Scott Coker on the phone. Together. I want to verify this. I want to get Scott Coker. <laughs> then you take a look at who Nemkov, the champions fighting. Phil Davis earned that right to to get yes. that title chance, so that makes sense. And then you take a look at the you know the first two. Bader against Machida makes sense because it's a rematch and you you can build something off of what occurred the first time where Corey Anderson won fight into Bellator going against the guy who is the newcomer who hasn't had any fight into Bellator. It makes sense. Their, their matchups make sense and I like the way they did it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. They didn't do him any favors. Nemkov, he's fighting Phil oh, no. Davis in a in a rematch. <laughs> but let's talk about that rematch. That first fight, though, Nemkov had beat Phil Davis up for the first two and a half rounds, or two yep. rounds, I should two say. Rounds. And then in the third round, Phil started coming on was and getting his work done. And had that been a five-round fight, we may see something different. We may have that seen something exactly different. exactly right. And so we've got to see what Nemkov can do for the full five rounds. And Phil Davis is someone who doesn't, he doesn't fight at a fast pace, but he's always in phenomenal shape. He's always somebody that will continue to push the pace. What you see in Phil Davis in the first round is probably what you're going to get out of Phil Davis in the fifth. And so that being said, this is going to make it a really interesting fight because I, if, I, if I'm Phil Davis's coach, I'm thinking, let's drag this into the third and the fourth round. Let's survive. Let's let him use all of his tools. Let's make him work. He's fast. He's explosive. Yep. Let him, let him just. Blow all that out in the first round, round and a half. Well, let's wrestle him a little bit. Let's press him to the fence. Let's try to get those takedowns. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Whoa, whoa. Did you say wrestle and with Phil Davis? Never. Never <laughs> happens. I've always thought, dude, what's with the not, you don't wrestle anymore. He goes, John, it's hard. It's yeah. hard work. Ed, Ed Ruth, same <laughs> stuff, right? Ed, you going to start wrestling anytime soon? Like, that's why uh, I say, man, if you wrestled at Penn State, as soon as you leave, you never want to wrestle again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they feel like they don't need another trophy of all the trophies they already have. I mean, geez, man. <laughs> but Yoel Romero and, and Anthony Johnson. Look, I've known Anthony for a long time, since the beginning of his career, pretty much. And Yoel Romero being 44 years old. AJ, I think, is 36 now. Yep. Um, it just made sense. For Scott yes. Coker, not Big John McCarthy to put this fight together. Okay, Scott to Coker together. to put this together. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. I Did think you take credit for Anthony Rumble's career. No, no. Yeah, I why are you trying I to take credit for him. Anthony I Rumble's said I've known career? Him. Go, Dave. Go, Dave. Go, Dave. Go ahead. You know what? I can replay some footage of him giving me credit for his career, but I can. I don't have to do that. Oh <laughs> man! But AJ, look at that. AJ, though, in this fight, the reason why I like this is because, like you said, there was no, there was no, um, for sure that this was going to happen later on. 
it wasn't guaranteed that they would both get past the first round. You know, no. I mean, no matter who they had fought. Let's just say you put Yoel Romero against Ryan Bader, or you put, you know, like you've already seen Yoel and Machida fight before, you know, um, Rumble and somebody else. I mean, it just, it didn't make sense. When they had first signed, it made sense for the two of them to fight. It was like, look, both of you guys, 136, 144, we're having the 205-pound light heavyweight tournament. Let's just get this fight going so everyone gets to see it for sure. The other thing as well is that it's we're talking three fights back-to-back in April on Showtime. There's no better way to start this month than to, like, than to watch these guys start off in the card. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have this fight. You need to have it. You need to have it in your first couple of shows. You know, your first, second, or third show, whatever it is in that in that first month. It's got to happen to bring the explosion they need to to the new network. You know, to Showtime. And I think it was I think it was brilliant for them to do this. Oh, it's it's uh, every fight they did as far as the way the thought that went in behind it. You got to agree with it. They're, all the matchups make sense. There's something behind each one of them to a point. So. I love the way they put this together. I love the fact that they have the featherweight, you know, as far as the last semifinal coming in, and we'll know who's going to be in the finals against AJ McKee the very first time on April 2nd. That's awesome. And then this starts off the next week. This is going to be fun. I'm excited. I'm yeah. very excited. Come on. Yeah, April 9th will be Ryan Bader and Machida and Anderson uh, versus Yagshir Miradov. Gosh, it's gonna be horrible. I'm gonna be Come at the, on, baby. I'm gonna be at the desk just butchering this poor man's name. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. <laughs> and then on April 16th, you got Nemkov versus Davis. You got Anthony Rumble Johnson versus Yoel Romero on April 16th. Then in May, what is it? May 2nd? Go back May to 7th. That. May 7th. May 7th. So May 7th, you got Juan Archuleta versus Sergio Pettis. What a fight that's gonna be. Yep. That is an awesome fight. Those guys, you know. Archuleta's got a pace. He's he's just got a uh, he runs at 110 you know miles per hour the whole fight. But Pettis is the guy that can take advantage of that at times. He's got just beautiful technique, great skills. That's going to be an awesome championship fight. Does Archuleta keep the title or does Pettis end up taking the title from him? It's going to be fun. What I want to know is how Pettis adapts to the way that Juan Archuleta changes the angles because you can yeah. take a lot of top, top strikers. And then you look at Dom, you know, Dominic Cruz, and you look at um, TJ Dillashaw and how they've made that style effective against top strikers, mixing up the wrestling with the head kick, with the overhand rights, with the, you know, all those things, putting it together, really good strikers have had a hard time with that in the past. And if Juan can do the same thing and how Sergio is going to adapt to that, that Juan uh, does, as well as the pace. We saw Juan Archuleta set that pace against Patchy Mix, and Patchy wasn't able to make the adjustments after the first two rounds, and he just started to slow down. And Juan was able to start touching the body, touching the body, and make it even worse for him as the fight went on. That All those things set up Juan's wrestling against Sergio Pettis. But Sergio has no slouch off of his back either, though. No. So when you're talking, like, where does Juan go to win this fight? He's got to mix it up. I think to win the fight, Sergio's got to make sure that he stays a little like he doesn't. He doesn't stand in front of him flat-footed. He creates little angles to make things change for Juan. That's kind of how I feel. Sergio needs to win this fight, and with Juan, he needs to mix it up. Yeah, Juan needs to utilize that same exactly what you're saying. It's that style that Dom Cruz is the one that he's the guy that really made it 
something that people were looking at and going, wow, I want to try to emulate that. And then TJ ended up taking, taking it, not making it exactly the same, making it his own. And Juan Archuleta has basically mimicked the style that TJ really did with um, Dwayne Ludwig. But it's the wrestling that Archuleta possesses as his backup to that style and his ability to take you down that makes it dangerous because you don't at times know, is he going for this knee pick or is he going for that overhand right? He mixes things up well and he keeps you off balance and guessing, which makes him very difficult to deal with. Well, let's talk about a couple other things though when he comes to that fight. Pred is coming up from 25 to 35 when he joined Bellator. Mm -hmm. And he said he feels better, so there's no Way weight better. cut. Doesn't have to worry about He said, like everyone else has talked about, he feels more durable, can take better shots. He didn't feel as flat during the fights, had the conditioning to go through it. We should see, we should expect to see a better uh, Sergio Pettis in this fight yes. than we had seen in the UFC because of the weight cuts. That being said, Juan Archuleta cutting all of the weight to get down to 35. He's fought at 45. He's fought at 55. You know, he's fought at every damn weight class you can think of. You know, and yeah. the, the simple fact of the matter is anything that Sergio possesses, Juan has already seen. He's seen it against Patricio. He's seen it against every other person that he's ever fought. I mean, he's fought all of the best guys from 55 to 45 to, and he trains with phenomenal fighters as well. Cub Swanson, yep. TJ Dillashaw, you know, all the other guys that he, tra he trains with as well. So, there's nothing that, that Sergio is going to present to him on the feet, I don't believe, that he hasn't already seen. And also coming down, he's going to be used to any the strength or the size. I feel like he should be a lot stronger than Sergio Pettis when it comes into those clinches and those wrestling. But the weight cut kind of concerns me a little bit. No, I can understand where the weight cut could concern you. But you know, his last fight against Patchy Mix, he said, look, my weight cut was nothing. I had yeah. gotten myself down. I had trimmed some muscle off of me and I felt better than ever. I think he's got it down now. And so I don't think that, you know, what we saw in the patchy mix fight, obviously weight cut had no problem because it was, he utilized his conditioning as a weapon. He weaponized that conditioning factor. And that's what won in the fight, his ability to maintain an RPM, to maintain that pace against patchy that patchy was having a hard time keeping up with so obviously that weight cut in that fight worked very well for him if he can do the same thing in this sergio pettis fight it will not be a problem but it's always you never know how sometimes especially as you get older you never know how your body's going to react to that weight cut it could be great you know in february and it could be horrible in may so it is a question. Well, here's the thing. When he had fought Patricio, he didn't have that conditioning that he had. I felt like he didn't have the pace and the conditioning that he had in that fight versus the fight he had against Patchy Mix for the title at 135. I felt that's like because he, he was getting punched in the head by a guy that's a <laughs> fucking semi truck with his hands. That might and be that true. Definitely, that definitely made your, that might be your true. conditioning go away. But also, I mean, like Patchy was chasing the submissions, making him work just as hard. I'm not, I mean, not getting punched in the face in the head. But I'm simply saying, he he fought a lot out of submissions, submission after submission in those first two rounds. I mean, that gasses you out just as much, and it gassed out Patchy Mix as well. But when he got into the third and the fourth and the fifth. He just still had the same pace. I really feel like possibly, I mean, even though he's talking about the weight cut, because he had fought at 55 and 45, and he'd fought for the title at 45 previously to that, 
I feel like 35 might just be his weight class. You know, if he actually, I really think it is, you know, he gets down there when he gets down there in the fashion that he did for the last one. I didn't really like his weight cut when he went against uh, his first time. I'm trying to think of who it was because it wasn't Ricky Bandejas. It was against uh, somebody else. But I didn't think that he uh, did real well. And Eduardo Dantas, I think it was. Okay. And he knocked him out. And I, and I, I was, you know, looking at him, talking about his weight. And he, and he was like, oh, I'm going to be good. And I was like, eh, I don't think he's going to be. He knocked, he knocked Eduardo Dantas out in that fight. So at 135, He's fought well at 145, you know, well, no, the, his no, Dantas was at 45. Dantas was, was at 45. What, what was the weight on the, the Bandejas fight? I believe it was I 135. That one, I think that one was the 135. Yeah. 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 That was at 135. The Dantas fight was at, as at 45. Okay. Yeah. And so you look at his fight against Bandejas. It was a good fight. He fought well, but he seemed to get a little tired in it. And that was a three round fight. But then again, he comes back. And he does it against Patchy Mix. And that five-round fight, man, he was buzzing even at the end of it. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think he's found his weight at, one, at 135. And I think he looks phenomenal there. Nothing wrong with it. And I, I hope he continues to have success. Sergio Pettis coming there and fighting him. And there there was a lot of talk about a potential 135-pound uh, uh, tournament as well. So, yeah. I mean, I think they may. I'm not. Don't quote me on this, you guys, because I'm simply saying that up until they had signed Rumble and uh, Yoel, there was a lot of talk of the 135-pound uh, Grand P being next. So once they wrap the featherweight and this thing starts to get closer, because you have to remember, at 205, there's only eight of them in the tournament. So this one should wrap up potentially a little bit sooner or a little oh, bit yeah, faster yeah. as long as things run smoothly. There's no more yeah. COVID. No more COVID coming around for another year. So <laughs> let's hopefully this thing wraps up. But we just keep the keep it on track. But I'm excited. This whole this whole April and early May, just you know, and from what I see people have been telling me, we're potentially gonna have two shows, you know, and occasionally maybe even three shows a month throughout the rest of the year. And I think once you start getting a routine and once you start um, letting all the, the fans really see and follow your fighters on one network, I think you're going to see the growth. We could potentially see like another resurgent. I don't want to call it strike force. I want to get away from that. I want to call it Bellator. I want to make sure that people understand this is not a strike force thing. Sure, we're back on Showtime. I feel like we've gone full circle. We've got kind of the same crew that used to work for Strike Force. But I'm telling you guys right now, we've got a better roster right now than we did for Strike Force. Yeah. Overall, Yes, overall, way better. And you take a look at some of the guys that came out of that strike force, not even talking about guys like you. <laughs> but not. guys like, come on, man. You take a look at Luke Rockhold and, you know, uh, Jacare, Tim Kennedy. That was the 185s. You, you're looking at some studs in there. And there were even Hodger Gracie at the time was fighting 185. Tyron Woodley, course. Robbie Lawler. I mean, like, yeah, ton, tons of guys. You well, well Ty, Tyron was welterweight, but. Robbie was a middleweight yep. in Strike Force. So there's just some great talent. You know, DC came from Strike Force as the Grand Prix champion uh, for the heavyweights and stuff. You know, Strike Force had some great talent. Yeah. It was a, it was a fun fun promotion. So this is a, uh, you know, completely different and overall the talent here at Bellator is better than the talent there and you can see what that talent did when it went over to the UFC. so Well, I like to, like, six months ago, I had said, six months, probably about six months ago, I had said, 
you're going to see changes, I think, in Bellator. You're going to see changes in terms of what we're seeing right now. This is what I was alluding to. They're looking to find the best fighters they can to fight the best fighters that they have. And that's what they're looking to do. I mean, you're going to potentially see other great fights, you know, coming up as well. Like we talked about the other day is Yaroslav Amazov potentially fighting Douglas Lima or Neiman Gracie potentially fighting Douglas Lima. How, how those kind of fights, you have Logan Storley who had a great fight against Yaroslav Amazov. What's next for him? I'd love to see him and someone like Neiman Gracie fight. Think about oh. that. You, Logan is used to taking people down. Would you be, would you want to do that to someone like Naaman? Like there's a lot to be said about the guys that we have in this roster. And in, with Strikeforce, there really was no 145 or 135. It was like, sure, we had, you know, some of the local guys fight. That promotion, it was great. Sure, it produced a lot of great guys. I mean, I wouldn't say I was great, but it was one of the guys that came out of there that was good, you know, and those guys succeeded in the UFC. This group of guys that we have for Bellator, I, want, I don't want to say that they're all better, but I'm saying that there's a bigger group of them and there's a lot there and they're very, very good. The sport itself has changed and these guys are so talented from 135, 145, 155, 170, 85, even 205. I mean, we've got, we've got a group of phenomenal fighters that can really be uh, built around this promotion. But one of the things I want to ask you about now that they have Bader coming into this tournament, he's the heavyweight champion. Do they do an interim heavyweight championship fight to get that belt going and get some guys a chance at being uh, the next guy up once Bader either uh, wins this thing or drops out of it, whatever happens with it? What do you think? No, I don't think so. I think that that I would say yes. It, the only guy that right now I feel like deserves a title shot is Tim Johnson. The issue is, though, is I think I think uh, what's um, Minikoff, Minikoff as well. But the problem is Minikoff is not active enough. If he fights more often and get people to, un to to know who he is, I could see doing that. I mean, like he was the former champion before you and I started working for the promotion, you yep. know, but then he came in and then he had a loss to check Congo because he had a staph infection. It was on antibiotics the week of and gassed out in the, in the fight. But it was a close fight. All the way up, it was a close fight. Until split the decision. Last, yeah, split decision, close fight. Uh, but you could tell he just wasn't the same. He was, he was yeah. fatigued and gassed after the first round. That, that being said, watching him fight Tim Johnson for, for an interim title, it doesn't do anything for me because neither one of them, Tim Johnson, sure, he's got back up to that part, but Minikoff needs to get more people to, to know who he is. I think you have them fight two other people. You know, in the process until Ryan Bader is ready to fight or maybe even two more fights for the rest of this year. Let's get them on Showtime. Let's get people to see them and know them. And then let's get that heavyweight title to come back, whether Ryan Bader's in the tournament all the way to the end or if he ends up um, dropping out of the tournament and coming up and defending his title at heavyweight. Okay. You got to give name recognition. I got to get them more recognition. Ah, man. You know what? It's time to time to get that title. When's the last time? You know, when you're looking at, you had that, the heavyweight title, heavyweight Grand Prix. And since he won it, you know, at the beginning of basically 2019, not a whole lot has happened with the title. He, he ends up beating Congo. Uh, that fight was, well, he didn't beat him. It was a no contest based upon a, a poke, but not a whole lot's going on. Something needs to happen in that grouping. Interesting. Yeah, I no, I agree, but there needs to be more activity at that grouping, though, as well. 
True. You know, you got Tyrell Fortune, True. you've got Tim Johnson, you've got Minikoff, you've got um oh, the other tough Russian. Oh, he the smaller one. Valentin. Valentin. Uh Moldovsky. Moldovsky. Gosh, man, remember these names, Josh. Get it together, <laughs> Thompson. Get it together. So, but yeah, I mean, you've got a great, you've got a good group of very talented heavyweights. Yeah. They're just not as active as we would like to see them be, as I would like to see them be, just to be honest, to get yeah, people but to actually start following them. But wouldn't if you have at least an interim title up there, don't you get them more active? No, you have a champion. Why can't they get there to the to the title by themselves, fighting they, other they, guys? Because you have that champion that's sitting there in another tournament in another weight class. Yeah, but that's what's going on with Patricio as well at 155. <laughs> well, but he he was... He was prior already. You're stuttering, John. You're stuttering, no. buddy. <laughs> he was the featherweight champion. He's only had one lightweight fight. That yeah. was the fight that he ended up beating Chandler, who was the champion. So that that makes sense. This one, eh, I think there needs to be an intern. Well, I think what happened was, even at lightweight, things kind of stalled out on the lightweight division after Patricio beat Chandler. It kind of stalled out. There wasn't a lot of activity in those guys fighting. Uh, Peter Quigley got hurt, broke his hand. Patricky, you know, was supposed to fight several times. They went and fought in the Ryzen tournament. So things kind of got stalled in that weight class. Same thing, I feel like, in the in the heavyweight division. Sure, Tyrell Fortune, he fought Tim Johnson. He 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 was the rising star. Okay, this is could be the guy that's gonna fight, you know, Ryan Bader or you know, Minikoff or whatever it was. Then he got knocked out by Tim Johnson. Tim Johnson goes over to France and fights Czech Congo. You know, like there's these fights that all happen, but it just it didn't work out the way that I think it's kind of just stalemated for a little bit. So we got to bring that back to light before we can start saying like, this guy's going to fight Ryan Bader for the title. Someone's got to rise to the top. The cream's got to rise to the top right now. And it's not there yet. All right. Just I'll, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll go with you, but we definitely need to see more movement. Yes. In the heavyweight division. That's all I'm asking for is more movement. Okay. Okay. Co Coker did say that, um, once the April 9th fights play out, he might consider an interim belt for heavyweight. So, oh, it's good. Oh, look at there. Maybe did you he, hear something? Is that why you brought no, this up? No, yeah, I didn't put it in his devil. head either. Don't lie. Let me guess. You decided you told him to do an interim title. Let me guess. No, I did not. <laughs> Sneaky I did dog. Not. Oh, man. This is great. I love, I love, I'm such a nerd. John, I love this. I love sitting here talking with you, buddy. This is so much fun. This is awesome. It is fun. I enjoy this. Our even, sport is awesome. Even though it's like three in the morning for you there. <laughs> well, let's, you know what? We, we do have this, uh, we have the Usman versus Burns fight coming up. I cannot wait. All right. We have uh, also, the, you know, I think the co-main is Macy Barber versus Alexa Grasso. Mm. So we need to do a little bit of weighing in on the odds, Josh, because we're going to see who you're going to pick and then who I'm going to pick. Or we can do me first. Either way, I don't care. And let's go. What do you think Gilbert Burns versus Kamara Usman? Now, let's put it out. Usman is a minus 275, and Burns right now is somewhere in the area of a plus 210 to plus 220. Big gap. Do you think that gap is deserved? I think from the odds makers, yeah, but I wonder if someone is able to been has someone has been able to poke around and see how their training sessions used to be. 
you know, there's got to be a lot. Of, there's got to be some leaked information, you know, from past training partners. I'm just being honest. If I was a bookie, I, that's what I'd be looking for. I'd be looking <laughs> before I made these odds. I'd be trying to figure out. I probably would have laid the odds about even when they first came out, and then started poking around. Hey, yeah, so and so used to get the better of them here. So, but we are talking about a fight. Anything can happen. But if I was someone that was laying out these odds, I would have went and found and did some research to make sure, especially on this type of fight, knowing that they had training partners that could talk about it. I mean, for me, uh, up until even last Saturday, I thought Gilbert Burns had a little bit of more of the advantage because I was thinking to myself, the speed of Gilbert Burns, the striking, I think, is a little bit better than Usman's, but he's been training, but Usman's been training with Trevor Whitman as well as with Henry Hooft. And He's gotten better on the feet, as we saw with Colby Covington. But he's the speed, good on the feet. Yeah, he is. If you you know if you can do well in the stand up, and I'm not going to take anything from Masvidal as far as I know, he only had a week. Yeah, notice, but that doesn't take away from his skill set, and he's an outstanding stand up fighter. He's great at setting traps. He takes good angles. He throws great, you know, shots from different angles, and Usman just did great with him. So his stand-up game is good. You can know, take a look at the Colby Covington fight. That's a little bit different. He looked great. But when I look at what he did, I went back and watched that fight against Masvidal. And yeah, he utilized wrestling in the clinch game a lot for it. But it was the stand-up at times. He has good head movement. He did really smart things during that fight. His stand-up game is good. I understand, but a lot of that had to do with closing the distance to get to the clinch. That's sure. not probably a position he would like to be in with Gilbert Burns. I, I think it is. You think so? I think he wants to be in a clinch at times. I think he wants Gilbert Burns in a clinch. Interesting. That's an interesting perspective. I, I could see why he's taller. He's he's got. I think feel like he's. We found out that he's not he's not as heavy as Gilbert today. So, <laughs> um, but I would have thought that he would have been heavier. I thought he would have been someone that you know would make Gilbert take his carry his weight, press him against the fence. But if he's not as heavy, I mean, who's to say that Gilbert can't turn him to the fence? Gilbert can't put the weight on him, you know. But he is the shorter guy. I, my old thought process was that Usman would like to stay out of the clinch. I mean, especially until the third round, the second, like half of the second round. So there's a better sweat going on because anything in that position, I'm not saying that uh, Gilbert Burns is somebody that would drop to the legs on the leg lock or any of those, but why not create a scramble? Why not attack the ankles? Why not get to those leg lock positions to help open up and potentially get to top position where you're more dangerous? That's kind of where I'm at, like in terms of jujitsu guys. They will roll for something, or they'll try to they'll they'll fall into a, into a half guard position like Damian Maya. Then that's a way to help set up their sweep, get their sweep, and when they get their sweep, they're on top. Now that's where they want to be. Sometimes they will let people clinch with them because they know they can just fall into a half guard position and work their half guard game from there, and they feel more comfortable from that position because they know they're not going to take a whole lot of damage. That to me is what scares me a little bit with you know Usman and Burns in terms of how Burns can take over the, the grappling aspect of it if Usman is to clinch him. So if you were going to bet, who are you going to tell people this is the guy I'm betting on? If, it was the, if we're playing the odds and who I was going to bet on, I would, t I would take Gilbert Burns. Because but you only have to put down $100 to win 220 Yes. I agree. That's a good one. But I, I'm taking Kamara. Yeah, I, w I think I'm going to. It's You know, it's so No, weird. you can't it's switch now. <sighs> yeah, go ahead. If you I'm can gonna, switch. I'm not you haven't hit the switch. button yet. Honestly, it really, I really feel like this is a pick'em fight. I, I don't think it is. 
You think more? I, think, I, I really think that Kamaru Usman is, he's that guy that, yeah, he's very, uh, he's so good at controlling the fight the way he wants it to be. He's so good at making his opponent fight his fight. I'll put it on the ground if I want. I'll keep it up if I want. And that's, that's a telling area as far as what he can do. I do think the clinch game is going to be very effective for Kamaru Usman against Gilbert Burns. And we'll see if Gilbert does drop down in those positions and says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it and try to drop down and get into a leg lock position or something like that. He could. And if he does that early, there's a chance because sweat does make a difference and it sure does help you when you're going against someone that's as good with his submission game as Gilbert Burns is. I just look at it right now. I think Kamaru Usman is just that guy that he's just a, a just a level above everyone else in just a little bit. You know, his, what, what, I'm trying to think what he's 12 wins in a row, 13 wins in a row. Usman guys. Yeah. I mean, in, in the UFC. I mean, he is, he is a load, you know, and just, I don't, I don't see him losing the fight. Could, could, but yeah. you know, 17 and one now. Where did he start in the UFC? Go keep on right there. They can't call the one. So, yeah, he had his he had his fight against, uh, no, it was against, um, what's his name? Haider. Hassan. That was the where he basically started in the UFC. Mm -hmm. How many fights did Leon Edwards he beat? Look at all the guys that this guy has beaten. Morley yeah. Alva, Sean Strickland, who's a good fighter, tough dude. Damian Maya, RDA, Tyrone Woodley. I mean, he hasn't fought slouches. He's fought good fighters, just like Gilbert Burns is a good fighter. Yeah, no, I agree with you. What I want is for fighters, if you guys are, anyone that may potentially fight for the title, if you guys are in the 175-pound weight class and you guys may potentially end up trying to get to that Kamaru Usman or you're right there in that mix, Leon Edwards, Chimeyev, then you guys need to pay very close attention to what Gilbert Burns does because there's a lot of things that he knows about Usman that he's gonna pull right out of his, his right out of his hat, and you're gonna see what those things are. And you gotta maybe potentially think about like if when I do fight him, those things obviously work. So if if Burns is throwing those, that could be a game changer in terms of how people because like this is how it, oh it could, he people he could be writing the, the blueprint. Yep. He could be writing the blueprint that everyone tries to use from now on in fighting Kamaru Usman, and you gotta figure. There's no doubt when these guys faced off against each other how many times in the gym as teammates. Look, at there's times that Gilbert Burns got the best of Kamaru Usman. There's That just happens. Yep, it does. And there were, and there were times that Kamaru Usman definitely got the best of Gilbert Burns. You know, But the one thing you do learn is you learn what you can be effective with mm -hmm. and what you go, I just can't make that work against that guy. Yep. And so it's going to be an interesting fight. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm just saying, those guys at 170, you guys got to pay close attention to what's working for Gilbert Burns because he, if he's still, if Kamar Usman is still getting hit with those techniques and those positions, that means he has no solution for him yet. So he, like you said, he's laying, Burns could potentially be laying the, the blueprint for every 170 pounder on how to beat him. Yep. So Leon Edwards, Chimeyev, Colby, all you guys, you guys got to start thinking about working on that type of detail. But Burns also brings something to the table that those guys don't have. That's world-class jiu-jitsu. 
Colby Covington does not have world class jiu-jitsu. Leon Edwards, he's got good jiu-jitsu, but it's not world class. You no. know, and Chimeyev, he's got good wrestling, good decent stand-up, but it's not world class jiu-jitsu either. So when you're talking about those top group, and Stephen Thompson says he's got jiu-jitsu, but it's not world class either. So when you're talking about guys at 170, it's there's not a lot of them that have that. None of them have that world class. You have Damian Maya and you've got Gilbert Burns, you know, in that weight class, I believe, that have that type of jiu-jitsu. So if you're looking at him, I'd probably pick something else besides the jiu-jitsu part of it <laughs> that if you see what he's doing that's working, pick that and say, hey, that's something I can build on and go from there to be Usman as you get there. So, All right, Macy Barber against Alexa Grasso. Oh, right geez, now, man. Macy Barber is the underdog. Now, she's coming off of a bit of a layoff because of the knee injury and stuff like that. She's plus 110, while Alexa Grasso right now is minus 130. What do you think? I think it's fair odds. I think it's fair odds given that Alexa Grasso has been healthy. She's been able to fight. Um, she's being active. Uh, Macy Barber coming off the loss uh, because of the torn knee. I, I think it, the layoff itself, is she going to be confident in the knee? I think that's everyone's perception. If you're, not a, if, you're not, if you're not a casual fan at home, you guys should understand athletes, there's a little bit of that in the back of your head. Can I get through a fight? Training's one thing because you're you got knee pads, you got knee braces, you've got you got shin guards on. You know you're not getting kicked. You know you are getting kicked hard, but it's not it's not bone on bone. And little things like that they make a big difference when you're taking a shin to the knee. You know what I mean? So, um, will that be a difference? Will she have the confidence to take that and check that kick or whatever it is? So that that makes that. I want to see how she deals with that in the first round. I think after the first round, we'll see how, who, who she really is in the second and the third because the, the jitters will eventually go away. The adrenaline will fully kick in and she'll realize that her knee is strong enough for her to go ahead and, and fight uh, the way she wants to fight. But Alexa Grasso, man, she's good. She got a lot better as well. She seems to be continuing to get better. She was, I think she was cutting down to what, 155, 115? Dude, 155. Killing herself. Yeah, 155. She's killing herself to get yeah. to 115. This is definitely her weight class. The flyweight division is where she should have been from the beginning. Yep, and she looks good. I think she's, the weight cut definitely was hurting her, and now she's back up. Now she is up. I think she's uh, found a home. She's going to be good. I'm not ready to say she's going to be Valentina Shevchenko, but... <laughs> I'm ready to say that this is going to be a good fight. I think people, because of the odds, may say that Macy Barber won't be ready. But I think she's going to bring the game to her, knowing that she missed out on a, almost a whole year of not being able to compete. I was someone that had injuries several times, 16 months of being out. And you know what you are at that age? You're extremely hungry. You're amped up, pumped up, ready to get back. You probably She probably did all the extra work because she missed it so much, not being able to do shit sitting at home. You know, and... I think you're going to see someone who comes out with a ton of energy, probably a ton of conditioning, and she's going to bring the fight to, to Alexa Grasso. Now, can Alexa Grasso handle it all? We'll see. I, I'm ex I'm amped for the fight because, you know, it's <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be a fun fight to watch. Yes, I know why because you're not yeah. Stephen A. Smith and you enjoy women's MMA. Yes, that's I do. Yes. Okay, I that's do. good. So. All right, but you're not telling me who you who's who's you if you're putting money on the line, who you going with? Ah, I want them both to like me, so I'm not gonna say. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. You coward. Oh, if I'm gonna you lean coward. though, if I'm gonna lean though, I'm gonna say Alexa Grasso. Alexa Grasso, okay. Yeah, it's, and lean. it's funny, she's ranked at, at 15. Macy Barber is ranked at 10. Yeah. But Alexa Grasso is the favorite in this fight. 
I think not a big favorite. It's close, you know, it's it's close, but she's definitely the favorite. I think it has to do with the fact that Grosso looks better and it seems like she feels better at 125. Yeah. You know. She looks um, much better at 125. But they they're both stand-up fighters and they both they're both going to brawl. It's going to be fun. Um the, Kelvin Gastelum versus Ian Heinish. Yeah. I will never go away from the MMA version of Roberto Duran. Kelvin Gastelum gets it done. I will put down the extra money. He's minus 225 right now. I believe he takes this fight from a very tough guy in Ian Heinish, who's a good wrestler. He's a brawler, but he ain't Kelvin Gastelum. Click on Kelvin for me, please. He, he has it. No, go to his record if you can. He hasn't been the same fighter since he fought Izzy, though. Is he? Yeah. I mean, he don't get me wrong. I still love watching him fight. He just hasn't been the same fighter. And I've said this for the longest time. A lot of fighters after a fight like that, they're not the same. You know, we've Sorry. seen it with uh, Junior when he fought Kane those three times. Yeah, like, that's two, different. Two times. I mean, yeah. But, I mean, that was those were two fights like that. Yeah, two he, fights like that. Now, And Kelvin's was tough against yeah. Izzy. That fifth round, I know. brutal. Just, brutal. And, and it's those types of rounds. That can alter your career for the rest of your, you know, career in in the fight game. Yeah, exactly. Alter, you know, what you can do. It's just, this is where I talk to guy, you know, people all the time. They're saying, oh, he should do that. Man, you don't understand. There's times you walk away from that cage the same as you were, as you walked in. And there's times that you'll leave little tiny bits and pieces of you, but you're walking out okay. And there's times you leave big chunks of who you were in that cage and you never get them back yeah this is true this you is could be right true. you could be right yeah this is very true um i'm a homer when it comes to kelvin gasoline i like i him. love i love the mma's version of roberto duran i think he's fun to watch so you're <laughs> saying you would bet the nate you you're saying you bet the I'm, 225 i'd bet the 225 and i'm a homer i admit it i am not betting so much with my head but more with my heart on that one. <laughs> Next, uh, there was another car, Jim Miller and Bobby Green. Oh, I, 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 I'm a Bobby Green fan. Not that I don't like Jim Miller. I'm I love. A, Jim I'm Miller. a Bobby Green fan, man. And minus two seventy eight. Jim Miller's a plus two fifteen. That's a hard one to walk away from, but Bobby Green's going to win that fight. Yeah, Jim. Jim's, Jim's got the, the ability to win it by submission, possibly if he can get it down. But Bobby's good; his submission defense is good, and he's fast. And Jim's not now. And yeah. That's the difference. Yeah, I mean, Bobby's just been so active lately. What do you have? Four fights in like four months, five yeah. months? He had something yeah. ridiculous. I want to say it was. Yeah, we well, had that. He ended it with a loss, but it was a decision, and, and yeah. it was one that a lot of people thought he won. Yep. Against uh, Thiago, yeah, uh, it was a it close. Was, it was uh, a close fight, but he, yeah. he he beat um Clay Guida, he beat Lando Venata, and he beat Alan Patrick, and then those were all within a couple months of each other. It was June, August, and September. Jeez, three fights, yeah, and then in October, it. then I know I was getting to that. Okay, then he fought Thiago Moises at um at, at the end of October on Halloween. Just he took July off. He needs some. <laughs> probably, probably spent that much time at the bank cashing all them checks. <laughs> Good Jeez. for him, man. 
Man, that's great though. I mean, like to be that active and make that amount of money and be successful and have three wins out of the four fights, that's impressive. And then, uh, you know, to come back and fight Jim Miller, it's going to be a tough fight, I think. But I think, like you said, he's got good takedown defense. He's fast. Yep. I wish he would utilize his kicks a little bit more, but this is not the fight to do it. You know, he's got to stick with no. his boxing, you know, stay away from the kicks because of the takedowns. Maybe mix it in with a calf kick here and there as the fight goes on, but don't do it early when the when Jim's good um, and you're not sweaty enough to stop the takedown. I think if he does that, but he, he's gotten strictly to the boxing stage, and I want to get him into the kicking a little bit more, and he needs to do that. He came in. He came into fighting as a wrestler. Yeah. He was taking guys down and ground and pounding. Now he's nothing but I'm standing up. It's, it's a lot of work. Him, so. It's a lot of work to wrestle. Yeah. It is. <laughs> so yeah. um you're saying you bet the two seventy eight then? I would. I would I'd put I'd put two seventy down to win my hundred bucks back, but interesting. That's, that's I lot. I look at speed. Yeah. And I love Jim Miller. I, you can't find a tougher individual. You know, he is just a workhorse of a fighter, but he is getting older slowing down yeah. and when you slow down against a guy like bobby green man that's tough that's true true uh what else is on that card there's your no that's the only fight you didn't talk about all right um doo -doo -doo. let me see scroll down a little bit more that's a good five moves you know in the in the prelims with Bilal muhammad against diego lima yep that's a good fight. That's going to be interesting. Diego Lima, a little bit different fighter. You know, at one time, you know, he, he was always getting compared to his brother, and that's just unfair. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, he had this big uh, weight on his shoulders. But he's been fighting much better, much smarter. His stand-up is better. Bilal Muhammad is an outstanding wrestler, man, and he's tough. That's a, that's a good matchup. That's going to be fun. Well, you guys got our betting lines from us on us weighing in on the odds, as we like to call it. So go go to mybookie.ag or mybookie.com. Use the promo code weighing in. You have to put the initial first deposit of $100 all the way up to $1,000, and they'll give you 50% of your initial deposit. So if you guys do that using the promo code weighing in, they will do that for you. $100 gets you another $50, so you get $150 to spend. And this is good. Good timing coming up for this fight this weekend with Usman and Burns exciting stuff or you guys can wait till april but we'd prefer if you do it now that'd be wonderful but you guys can wait till april for all of the bellator fights as well so good stuff man so use that promo code weighing in on mybookie.ag or mybookie.com yeah i'll buy me um nate diaz came out and said he wants a dustin or Oliveira fight in an interview with ariel i heard he also said he never been finished very interesting <laughs> I was waiting for that one. Oh, I was man. waiting for that one. You look, let, let's be honest. And again, I love Nate. He is a great guy, but he's saying that he wants a fight against either Poirier or Oliveira, but he doesn't want it in their weight class. Those guys fight at lightweight. No. Both of them are 155ers. And he's saying he wants that fight at 165 or 170. And it's like, why would they jump up? to that fight at that weight that doesn't make sense well, you know dustin tweeted out yeah <laughs> uh, show me doing, the money Josh, show me Josh the money, doing the money thing. do the money just, dance baby that fight doesn't get either guy really anywhere in in a fashion of it gets some money you're absolutely right but Oliveira, 
you know, used to fight at 145. Why, why is he going to go up to 165 out of the weight class that he's saying he wants to be champion and he wants to fight in? And same for Poirier. He's in line for a 155 yeah. title. Would you take a, a shot, you know, with fighting Nate? Yeah, for money, sure. But Poirier just had a nice payday with uh, this guy named McGregor. Mm-hmm. So I think the title is what I think Dustin Poirier looks at it. That title means everything to him right now. Yeah. He had the interim. He knows he goes, that wasn't, that wasn't the real one. I want the real one. And he's got a great shot at getting it. So I just don't see him uh, moving up in weight. If they said that, you know, he could fight for the title against Nate Diaz, he would do it. You know, at 155, at 165, at 170, he would take that fight. Yeah, and not, Nate, not without a title. Look, I love the Diaz brothers. No matter what people think, yep. I love the Diaz brothers. I love what Nate's doing. He's trying to insert himself into this conversation, so he Good can job. so he can cut the queue. Is they like to say in the UK, correct? Cut the queue. They like to cut in line. Cutting in line. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cut the I queue. That was a oh, you forgot that was a word. <laughs> wow, a traitor to your country. Ten, I've been here 10 years <laughs> this, this year. Oh, He's man. lost it. He's lost He's it. He's lost it, man. Oh, wow. Um. So he's trying to cut the queue. He's trying to get right up into that top conversation. He's trying to see which one of those guys will bite. And I, I agree with you. Neither one of them should. They're right in no. line for the title shot. Stay the course. Don't let him talk himself into this position. As much as I like him, as much as I would like to see him fight, I don't think you guys should allow that to happen. Now, you notice how he didn't bring up Michael Chandler. That's his kryptonite. (laughs) I'm telling you right now, that's his kryptonite. He's super hard to get submitted to sub, and he's got power in his hands, and he's got the wrestling to control Nate Diaz on the ground. And speaking from experience, Nate Diaz is not a strong guy. Like, you take him down, there's things you can move around. You just got to be very careful of lifting your chin. And I, Michael Chandler is phenomenal at stopping submissions. And you've talked about this several times. His yep. submission defense is absolutely phenomenal. So when you're in that conversation of the guys at 155, I'm surprised he didn't go after Justin Gaethje. That's a guy that's tailor-made for him to fight. Why not insert yourself into that conversation? Like, that... You saying, hey, Justin, let's go. Why go for the guy, two guys that are really in the conversation for the title? Both of them are going to stay the course or should stay the course. I'm glad that neither one, neither one of them really fired back and said, hey, I want that fight. I mean, Dustin said, that's fine. I can fight you at 170. I mean, but the problem is if you do lose him at 170, you kind of lost your spot for the lightweight oh, yeah. title. Gone. It's gone. So don't do that. Stay your course, buddy. You've done so much. And I think you know that. I think you're just firing back a little bit to to you know spark the interest that that's a fight maybe later on down the line which is smart but as of right now it's you Oliveira, and chandler in that conversation justin gaethje is slightly out of it because he just lost to khabib and he lost rather quickly and so in that being said i think i think i'm surprised nate didn't say hey yo justin let's go but he (laughs) said he likes to fight guys coming off wins yeah i know but guys that usually, but he's not coming off. A that's win. the point. Guys, guys that are coming off wins. Don't usually like to fight guys that are coming off losses, you know? So no matter how much you move the needle, unless you're Conor McGregor, like, or, you know, Khabib who hasn't ever lost, but you're they're, they're not trying to fight guys that are coming off losses, you know? So, um, I like what he's doing. Cause I, I look, this is how he gets people to tune in. This is how he gets your attention. He cuts the queue and talks right to the people at the top and they fire back because they want that money. 
And these two guys are not. They're not firing back because they're right next in line for the title shot. You need to attack Justin. You need to attack Tony Ferguson. You need to attack, you know, I'm surprised he hasn't gone after Connor. I know he's saying, oh, I want to fight on. a guy coming off of a win, but. Tell, tell me a fight between Nate and Tony wouldn't be fun. I think it'd be fucking absolutely amazing. That'd be so good. Yeah. And Tony's already talked a lot of smack. He's already come oh. out saying all kinds of stuff. I'm yeah. like, we're, now I understand Nate's looking, oh, he's got two losses in a row. No, I don't want that. But that would be the fight. If, if I want to watch one of them, I want to see that fight. Yeah, I do. I want to see that fight for sure. You know, so I, if, if you're going to match a fight up, I think those that would be the fight to make. So now let's talk about the fact that he is claiming the other guys aren't martial arts because they get finished, they get knocked out, and that doesn't happen to him. Look, <laughs> I, 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 don't even, yeah, I don't even want to hey, get into it. It's all about what you put out. It's not yeah. about the truth. No, It's out about putting out the story, man. Well, you have to remember that our, the, you have to remember MMA fans, the hardcores, they know the reality of it. But the ones that the casuals at home that are reading the ESPN, you know, ticker on the on the bottom of the ticker, they have no idea. No. And so whatever he says is just, you know, like it's no different than when Chael used to say, I'm undefeated. And everyone's like, oh, he is. Wow, he's undefeated. No, he's not. You know, and every time he say, like every time he predicts a fight, he's never been wrong. I mean, like Chael's never lost a round. Never Chael's never lost a round. He thought, you know, when he when he fought Anderson, he just tapped and okay, we go on to the next round. I win the title. Cool, whatever. You know how this works. <laughs> I just lose that round. Yeah, I just lose that round. I move on. I thought I was gonna get the title. So, um, but the the casual fan at home, they don't know that you know when when they see it run across the ticker of what uh, of the bottom of ESPN. Nate Diaz claims, you know, he never gets finished. Da, 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 da. Casual fans at home are reading that. The ESPN, you know, baseball and basketball noobs at home are going, oh, wow, Nate Diaz never lost a round. That's brilliant on Nate Diaz's part for doing that. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw shade. I mean, whatever. Hold on. What, <laughs> it is what it is. I want to say I'm not good at knowing what throwing shade is, but you telling the truth is not throwing shade. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> just being but it's true. But the thing is, is that look, uh, it's, it, I do like to talk about it. I do bring it up every chance I get. So I enjoy it. But the thing is, in this situation, I understand what he's doing. And I think yeah. it's brilliant on his part. I think it's absolutely amazing that he's doing this. And I, like I said, the fans at home, the casual fans at home that are watching ESPN, they have no idea. And they're going to slurp it up and they're going to love it. And that's going to get him, that's going to get him paid even more. And like I've said always, I'm whatever I will support whatever gets the pay the fighters paid more. And whoever he fights is gonna get paid more because of the shit that he said. So go on, boy. Do your thing. I love it. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I I actually I'm I'm a little envious, man. I'm I'm upset I I never did the shit you did when it came to that type of stuff. You know, I just couldn't do it. It wasn't me. You know, some guys talk shit, some people do what he does, and they're brilliant at it. I just it wasn't me. Well, we've got something for our fans since we got this big fight coming up wait a second i have one more thing before we get <laughs> to this ahead. great thing i have one more thing to get to this thing can you pull up the 135 pound weight class the ufc one yes please there was a fight presented that people have been talking about Corey sanhagen coming off of a great fight a finish against my man frankie edgar um but this, there was someone that was brought up that we didn't even, we didn't even consider and talk about. We just thought that Corey Sanhagen was get the title shot after the winner of uh, Sterling and uh, Peter Yan. 
Where does TJ Dillashaw DJ. get into this? Where does TJ Dillashaw get into this? That that depends entirely on the matchmakers and President Dana White of the UFC. They'll determine that because do you take a guy who is the champion who relinquished the belt and put him back into a title fight right away, or do you make him fight a Corey Sanhagen or a Rob Font? Uh, it's the real question. I look at it. I think I think you make him fight Corey Sanhagen. I don't think, you know, he, he doesn't get an automatic. I think the winner between Corey and TJ, yeah, they deserve the shot at either Peter Yan or if Aljo wins it at Aljo. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I mean, I feel like you've got to get him in that conversation of a Jose Aldo, a Marlon Marais, a Corey Sanhagen, Rob Font, somewhere in there. You've got to give him one of those guys. You can't just catapult him right back into there. And Corey Sanhagen brought this up. How are you going to give, even to give him Corey Sanhagen, how are you giving this guy who has been proven to be a cheater and then now we're going to catapult him right back into this spot? You're, you're, it, it was a, it's a very dangerous situation, I think, from the outside looking in if you're a fan. Like, okay, you're basically saying like, hey, look, now that you're back, let's put you right there at the top. It's not fair. It really isn't fair. You know, and how many of those fighters? Life's, that, hey, life's not fair. We understand this, John. Let's, let's just be honest. That's some okay? old person stuff it's right there. About, you just said. It's about money. <laughs> it is. It's You know that. And so you take a look and say, if I bring TJ back, does it do me any good putting him in against, you know, a Jimmy Rivera or a Pedro Munoz? No, it doesn't. No. What it what does do me, you know, good things is if I put him against Corey Sanhagen, a guy who just knocked out an ex-champion in Frankie Edgar, and now I put him against TJ Dillashaw, I'm a winner either way. If TJ comes back and beats Corey Sanhagen, that's saying this guy was the champion. He's now back. He just beat the guy who is lighting everybody up got to put him back in the title fight now against either Aljo or Peter Yan, whoever's the champion. And if it's Corey Sanhagen who wins the fight, he just beat the ex-champion, the guy that had to drop the belt because he was a cheater, and Corey Sanhagen just whooped his ass. This is a beautiful thing. He definitely deserves a shot. I think it's I think it's an easy call for them. Oh, it's, I like TJ. I like him. Um, I love I, I'm TJ. upset about the situation that he put himself in. <laughs> But do you put him? Do you put him like he? He also lost to Dom. Dom's ranked number eleven. Do you say, "Hey, did we drop you that far?" Or you're talking strictly money from a promotional standpoint, though, right? Just to clarify that you're talking like what's best for us to make the most money. We yes. throw him right back into that conversation against Corey Sanhagen, and the winner of that fights for. And in the, and these are the types of situations where you hear people say, "Look, no press is bad press." Not in this situation for the UFC. This is good. Yeah, it's going to it's going to people are going to look both ways on it. There's going to be people that say he doesn't deserve it. There's going to be people saying that he does. There's going to be people that want to see him come back and be clean and do well. And there's people that want him to come back and just get murdered by whoever. It's it's what you as a promoter work to you know, accomplish. It's there for you. I just feel like the oh, I feel like to not give him too much. But to still give him a name that would bring on recognition, why not a Jose Aldo? Break number five. 
You know, okay. I mean, he's got a huge name. I mean, he's, you know, former multiple times. Like, there's, I don't need to explain. It's just, it kind of would make sense to have him fight someone like Jose Aldo without, without catapulting him right into that. Okay, now you're next if you win this fight. You know, because if you really want to be, if you, if you want to be, like I said, I don't want to be fair. I don't want to say I don't want to be fair, but I'm saying Corey Sanhagen's done everything you wanted him to do. And now the uh, Peter Yawn and, and Alzheimer Sterling are fighting next. Corey Sanhagen deserves to have that next title shot. There's no doubt about it. So why have him fight TJ Dillashaw when you can have him fight someone like a Jose Aldo? And if he beats Jose Aldo, then he can fight the winner of Corey Sanhagen and whoever he fights for the title. Okay, why do I have Corey Sanhagen fight Jose Aldo when Not right Corey. now TJ I'm talking about TJ oh TJ okay TJ fighting oh, you uh, said Corey that's why oh, I'm like, sorry doesn't make sense no TJ fighting uh, Jose Aldo okay you could I just look at it who's next in line Corey okay so if Corey's next in line and TJ was your champion and he dropped the belt because he got suspended and now he's back why not put him in against the guy not the champion put him in against the guy that is going to be in the position to fight for the championship. Let's see who's better. I know I'm playing devil's advocate a lot. It, it, <laughs> it gives you a, it gives you a great fight and it sets it up everything for you. It does. It does. It does. <laughs> I mean, and, and look, Corey Sanhagen, he's phenomenal and he's an, he's a young guy. He believes in himself. He believes he'll beat TJ. And would, would you rather take on TJ or sit? Take on TJ, man. Show everybody. Yeah. I mean, but if I was Corey, I'd be like, man, you guys are screwing me. <laughs> well, I, I can understand in, in that. Like, and, and in terms of some rationale, I agree with you. Yeah. You know, because he, but he's only, he's on a two fight win streak. Yeah. Okay. That's, it's good, but. Two good fights. Two good fights. Fantastic. Beats Marlon Moraes and Frankie Edgar. But, you know, he's going to have to wait for this fight with Aljo and uh, Peter Yan. And when is that fight going to take place, Josh? Uh, when is it? March? Is it March? Not sure. It's a ways off. Let's go, Dave. Jeez. So it's going to be a while. So if you're yeah. Corey, is it not better for you to fight March and 6th. stay active? Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah. I mean... I mean, he's had he's had two good performances. Didn't take very long. Uh, TJ's been sitting on the sideline now for what for two years. He's yep. ready to go. You get potentially in March. I mean, what do you have? January, February, March. I mean, maybe fight, maybe April. Well, it's February right now. We're only a month out from that. Yeah, we're a month yeah, out from you're, that. You're about a month out. From but I'm right saying, now. like, you could have them probably both fight on the same March card if you wanted to stack that card more, or you could have them fight a month later. Give them enough yeah, time. Fight a month later, and then you ha you set up. You know, whoever wins. Yeah, both fights they match up. I don't know. To me, that's the that's the thing that the matchmakers for the UFC as a promotion and they'll do as a promotion. Yeah, I could see them doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, hey, you guys are lucky, and John's going to tell you why you guys are lucky. John, thank talk you to very us. much. Well, you know, one of the things I want to bring up is Josh. You own a gym, okay. right? You do, right? Unfortunately, oh. <laughs> <laughs> And because of your gym, you're rich. Yes, of course. Because okay? I was the same thing. I had a gym and I was rich, according to everyone. Because they look at the gym and they go, oh, man, you're just loaded because of this gym. Money's coming out my arse. <laughs> oh, man. 
gyms are the worst thing. That was one of the things Dana White told me long ago. He goes, don't open a gym. It's the stupidest thing you can do. They all lose money. That's horrible. I hate when Dana's right. No, I don't. (laughs) He was right. You know, and it's like, uh, it's so tough, but we get to talk with someone who has, he came over, worked with the Black Zillions, was a coach there, and then opened up Hard Knocks 365, turned it into Sanford MMA, and is one of the greatest coaches there is in the world for striking. An unbelievable MMA coach now has both of the fighters in the UFC's main event in Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns. He's been their coach. He will not be at the show, but we get to speak with Henry Hoof, and he talks about what it's like to have two fighters going for the title. All right, we are lucky enough at this moment in the Weighing In podcast to be able to talk to one of the very best MMA coaches out there, a guy who is sought out by everybody, it seems like. He has a ton of fighters coming to him. We've got the man that leads Sanford MMA, Henry Hooft. How are you doing, coach? I'm doing well. It's a little late for me here. You yeah. know, so I'm old. I'm getting a little tired, but <laughs> I finally the podcast. So that's like big that's like Big John. I mean, you're on the East Coast as well. You guys are both a little older. I gotta get you guys wrapped up here pretty quick and back to bed. So <laughs> it, 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 I knew this was happening. I know. <laughs> It's always the worst, especially when I have to watch fights and then they get over here on the East Coast about 1.30 in the morning. And then I'm up until about 4 in the morning doing podcasts and stuff. And it's like, man, they have no idea. I'm an old man. I'm going to fall asleep in this sucker. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, look, you obviously have two of the best welterweights in the world out of your gym. Um, you know, and then Usman ended up going over to um, Elevation in Colorado. What was the what what time? I guess I want to just get down to it. What was the discussion when it came down to like, hey, how do you guys want to do this? Do you was one of you got? Do we can tra- train at different times? I can coach both of you, and really just you know hold mitts for you. Not really give a whole lot of game plan, or you know yeah. we can find a, a, a different location for one of you or both of you. You know, so I'm not involved. I mean, we've ha- I've had these type of discussions with Javier Mendez when a lot of guys were at AK. You had Mike Swick, John Fitch, Josh Koscheck. And the, the discussion was always, my guys will not fight each other until it's for a title because that changes your life. And that's kind of yeah. what we had the discussion as well at AKA. What was that discussion like for you at Sanford MMA? Well, it's kind of funny that you say so because uh, last couple of days, people sending me a text message from, uh, from another coach who said, uh, once you, you're, you're guys fighting each other, you don't have a team. Um, I, don't think, I don't think these people don't know. They don't understand. If you have... Uh, 17 UFC guys, and you have 15 uh, middleweights and welterweights, then one day, if you train them good, they will fight each other, you know? And uh, and they say, then it's business. But as soon as your fighter tell, pays you a couple of percentage of his fight, it's business. Everybody is on the mat. They're business partners. There can only be one champion, you know? So to make that clear, that statement clear, I don't want my fighters to fight each other. But if they're the best at that moment uh, in their weight class, then let them make a lot of money let them fight each other. They have been fighting each other in the gym. I know it's a little different, of course. Uh, so uh, when the first fight is supposed to happen, that was in the beginning of the COVID uh, period, we had a sit down, we had a talk, and uh, we talked about how, we, how, how, we, uh, how the best way to approach a fight like this. And for me, it was very simple. I told both of these guys, I'm not going to be involved. I'm not going to really train anybody. I'm not going to be in the corner. It's just you two guys. So whatever you guys decide to do, 
it's cool by me. And um, you have to understand that Kamaru is, uh, I've been training Kamaru for eight years. I mean, not only me, but Kamaru trained in the gym for eight years and uh, Gilbert seven years. So uh, we've been training for a long time. And, and Kamaru, when he goes back to Dallas to his family, he trains sometimes at a gym in Dallas. And he already trained sometimes with Trevor Whitman, who, who I know, who, uh, who makes all my equipment for my training. So he was already training sometimes there. And uh, at that moment, uh, Kamaru also said, like, it, it, it's good for me also to, to, to go to another place, uh, work on some different skills. And, uh, uh, but we never really decided you go there and he goes there. It just it went along like that. And uh, I think that when very transparent, everybody was working really cool. They were still training together at the same time, at the same at the mats in, in the beginning of the, of the first fight. And then when the fight got postponed, uh, of course, Kamaru trained uh, at, uh, at Travis' place, but he came back and he trained with us. Um, he never left the gym. Uh, and then when the fight got uh, rebooked again, uh, we had to sit down in the talk, me, him, and uh, I think Greg was also there. And, uh, and he decided, he, he, he said, like, it's, I think it's a good idea for me to go there. I like to train there. I like to train with Trevor and see some new stuff. Uh, and also, uh, it's better than Gilbert trains. I train. Uh, and I deci already decided to stay out of it. So, uh, so it went very good. Uh, everybody's asking me who left the gym or whatever. Nobody left the gym. Nobody left the team. For me, uh, everybody's still on the same team. Everybody still like each other. They have the same training partners. And like I said before, um, to be honest, I'm not a real big uh, game plan trainer. I'm more of a skill. I, I like to train skills. So I'm not really training for a certain kind of guy. So... Uh, um, of course, if you fight a wrestler, I know you have to be sure for the takedowns and everything. But I like to go from my own strength instead of just uh, looking too much at somebody else. So uh, for me, it's easy to step out of there. And uh, that's what really happened. And uh, I think the UFC and everybody wants to build a little bit of a drama because it's good to sell papers when it looks like it's a gym drama. But I tell you from, from my point of view and from our guys in the gym and from all both these guys, there's no drama. They're just going to fight hard. And of course, someone wants to be a champion and someone wants to stay a champion. And that's only the difficult part for me as a trainer to, uh, to see that, you know. But I probably don't even want to watch it. But I mean, there's no, there's no side to be chosen. That's just the way it went and it went very well. And I think it's going to work out well for both these guys. You know, I got a two-part question here. It's exactly what you just said. You're sitting on the East Coast, which means you're not in Vegas, which means you are not in the corner of either guy. That was a decision made by you obviously, that, hey, I, I'm going to separate myself. You say you're not even going to watch it. I can't believe you're not going to watch it. <laughs> okay, I cannot believe you're not going to watch it. But no. I, I do understand it. I totally understand it. On top of the fact that you had decided I'm not going to be in either of you know these fighters' corners because you know you love them both. You, you train with them for a long time. You, know, you don't want to see either one lose. Totally understand it. On top of that, you seeing what these guys have done in the gym for all of these years and getting themselves up to this level from the black zillions when they first started out there with you, you know, and, and all that time, all the way up to now, what is it that you see as a coach that separates the two in w the way they do things? Uh, well, the thing is like, it's very difficult because I always say the strength of Kamaru Usman is, uh, um, is, uh, is that he's very, uh, how you say it, he's very dedicated and steady and very, uh, he does everything the way you're supposed to do it as a professional athlete. 
Uh, he comes early, he wraps his hands, he, he rolls his body out, he starts, he warms up, uh, he trains hard, he does a cool down. Uh, the same is being said about Gilbert. They, they, they do exactly the same. They're the first ones in the gym, the last ones out of the gym. Um, they both have family, they're, they're family, they're, they're real fathers. I mean, Kamaru and, uh, and Gilbert, we have, uh, before we had Hard Knocks 365, we had a, an arcade place right next to our doors. And after training, Kamaru, uh, after hard training, Kamaru brought his uh, beautiful daughter there and went to the arcade place every day. Gilbert is always fishing with his sons. They're family people there. They're really, uh, I think both of them are representing a championship very well because I know you don't need to be the perfect person to be a champion. Everybody's different, but they're very dedicated, um, um, very motivated. They're, they're training animals. They like to learn. They, they suck up everything that, that you, you try to teach them. Uh, and and they both came from a grappling background and uh, it took a very long time. And that, that's what I always try to tell the people that come to train with us. Uh, my striking, uh, I don't do really anything that's very special, but it's a system that you need to follow and trust. And if you if you follow and trust the system, uh, knockouts and exciting fights will come. And, and slowly on, you will see the process. And uh, I'm very, very proud to be a part of building both these houses together with them uh, Fighting for a belt is something special, especially in the UFC, you know. It's not happening so often, but it cannot happen to two better guys. Uh, they're really, again, like I said, they're helping out other guys in the gym. Uh, so I'm, I'm very proud of, just like as a trainer, not only for the fight stuff, but also as personal people. They're very good people, you know. So that's, that's a cool thing for me as a trainer. For us as trainers, because I'm not doing this alone, for us as a trainers to see... Uh, that they're good men, you know, and that, that, that says something, you know, it's the culture of our gym. We, we try to raise good men, you know, the, the fact that he chose to go over to Trevor Whitman's and, you know, and Trevor Whitman and you know him personally, and you've obviously, I'm sure, do you still coordinate with him on, on before this fight was actually scheduled on, on the, the ideas of what you guys would like him to work with? Or you just let Trevor be Trevor with him as well, knowing that he's going to come back to you. Yeah, well, no, I know for, for, for a fact, everybody knows that. We don't need to say that Trevor Whitman is a great coach. Uh, there's, like, I, like I say, I'm, uh, I'm a picky guy. I'm not crazy about every coach in the world, but he's a, he's a real trainer. You know, he's a craftsman. Uh, you can see that. So, uh, no, I don't need to do that. We had, the, we had calls when he fought the George Masvidal. We called him and I called him about how, how he was doing. And we talked about the, the stuff that I think uh, would, would, would be good for Kamaru. But but again, like I said, he's so so uh, so well rounded. He's seen so many fighters, trained so many champions. So, but we have con we had contact only for this fight. Of course, we stay out of it. That's nothing to do with uh, with uh, being not personal or, or being in the mix or choosing sides. But I think uh, it's his job now to, to train Kamaru and uh, Gregory Jones is with Gilbert. So both of them uh, have a coach of, that I know that uh, are known these fighters very well. You have to understand that Kamaru also have George Santiago, who was always at every fight when I was in the corner. So, so, so Kamaru has his guys with him. Gilbert has Vincente Luca with him and Greg Jones. So, uh, I don't need to stay in. Uh, I don't need to call or stay in somebody, some other coach's uh, lane, especially not Trevor's. He's seen it all, man. He's uh, he's been, been doing this much longer than me, you know. There was there. I've seen a lot of footage in the last couple of weeks um, leading up to this fight of. Gilbert Burns always being kind of with Usman and Usman always being with Gilbert Burns when the two of them were at fights and events. And it's 
what what kind of conversation have you seen between the two of them and how they handle this professionally? I mean, they seem very focused on the matter at hand. There's been no mudslinging across social media. Uh, Gilbert's been a little bit more uh, active on social media, but all positive. Very, very positive person, obviously. I've met him a couple of times. Seems like a very positive person always. Uh, Usman, very focused. And see, the only thing he's really talked about and tweeted about on social media is, 10 days left, nine days left, giving the countdown and the focus. Is that is that kind of a a thing that you guys talk about at your guys' gym? And that being said is, what are the conversations when this fight was announced? Did you, yeah. between the two of them, did they say, hey, we knew this was coming because we were the two best guys? And how did you guys approach that conversation? Or how did they approach that conversation if you were able to hear about it? Yeah, that's kind of, when, when, when Gilbert, the, so-called called him out i don't i don't want to really call out but I, he needs to find a champion if you want to be a champion so you have to call him out yeah it was here that you know for yourself but uh he did it with uh, he did it on the right way and he still did and they had a conversation in the gym uh, at the first fight and when uh, kamaru still was with us training with us they had a conversation they talked about each other listen again these people know each other these children know each other's children they they Again, I know I know a lot of fans want to see a lot of uh, hate and uh, fresh talking. I'm not a big fan of that stuff. These are two professional guys who uh, who make good for their family. They're going to fight very hard, and uh, we had that conversation. Of course, now there will be a little bit of uh, yeah. One guy wants to be the champion, and the other guy wants to stay champion. So there will be a little bit of feeling like hey, he's not going to take what I got, and the other guy will take. I'm going to take what he got because I want it. So, but there's nothing really. Uh, Nothing really wrong. And again, like uh, like I just said, uh, it's in our gym at this moment when there's, and you know, you come from a very big gym. If you have so many good fighters uh, and they seek for a good uh, culture where they can kind of try to go to the next level. Because the funny thing is that people always say iron sharp and irons and these quotes and everything. But, but then another day they say the gym is too big. There are too many people. We don't get attention. Well, I tell you a very simple thing. I come from kickboxing and I know it's not MMA, but I come from kickboxing and uh, we train in a very small studio with 25 people with 11 world champions in my gym. Uh, when you turn around, there was a world champion next to you and everybody fought each other and everybody, nobody had any issues with each other because there was no trash talking because a traditional sport comes from Kyushin Karate and we all respect each other and K1 to the same. You, you said the morning you have breakfast with Recepo and Peter Ars, they have breakfast in the evening that they beat the shit out of each other. But afterwards they drink in the evening, they are out in Roppongi drinking beers. People need to stop. It's not everybody needs to talk trash, hate each other to have a good fight. It's skills. The skills pay bills. And you know that because you was a skillful fighter. If you have great skills, people want to tune in. Yeah. And of course, very people are good at drama and trash talking and everything. That's good for them. But in our gym, we don't want that stuff hanging around. We just try to keep it very simple. You come, come to fight, give good fights for the fans, make sure we get paid well. And that's another thing that people need to understand. These people are very underpaid. They're paid well and uh, have a great fight. And now these two teammates fight each other. Of course, again, it's not the perfect scenario at one, one hand. and the other hand, some guys say it's great. Uh, don't forget, we have, I also, not only me, but we train also Vicente Luque, who's very close by two more wins. And he's very close by. Um, even in Bellator, we have, and you talked about it, Logan yes. Storm, Jason Jackson. Uh, uh, but what can you do? I mean, I'm a trainer. I like to train people. So when people come to train, really want to train and work on skills, 
then uh, I'm not closing my door for nobody. That's not what I'm doing. And one of the things that you, first off, I want to ask a question about Gilbert Burns and his change from 155 pounds to 170 pound welterweight. We've seen a remarkable change of just his fighting ability. And I want to know what you think is the biggest difference because everyone thinks going smaller is better. And I always say going bigger is usually better. You're the faster guy. It helps. Sometimes the strength is something you got to consider, but let's talk about him moving up from lightweight to welterweight. Was that something he came to you with as far as talking to you about what your, your thought process is and why do you see this big difference in Gilbert as a guy that is now one of the supreme fighters in the welterweight division? Well, again, I, like I said, I come from kickboxer where, again, you know it as a judge, as, as a guy who's in there with these fighters, we don't do big weight cuts in kickboxing. And again, it's a different sport than MMA. So for me, weight cuts, I'm still, after 10 years, I'm still so, when I see these guys doing their weight cuts, I'm, I'm always like, what are, you, what are you guys going through? I would never, I could never do that. You're like, I, why? I, why are you doing this? Yeah, because a guy is only, for me, a guy, again, I was 95 kilograms and heavyweight is plus 95. I was 96, 97 and I fought heavyweight because the guys, first of all, they're bigger. So it's much nicer to beat up a bigger guy. That's in my eyes. And the second thing is the bigger guy is only strong for one round. After that round, you fall apart. And again, I tell you, Josh, because you're a skillful fighter, if you have skills, weight has nothing to do with it. Of course, in the clinch and on the floor and wrestling a little different. But from my point of view, as a striking coach, you can ask Gilbert this. 100%. I said after his first fight, he fought Andreas Stahl in the UFC at 170. I told him, this is your weight class. But in Brazil, they have special doctors. They can do special diets. And, then, <laughs> and, and I said it from the beginning. It's too much of a weight cut. He, when he got dropped by Dan Hooker, he wasn't out. Yeah. And even that, I said it after the fight. It wasn't. He was so 35 pounds, 40 pounds weight cutting. What do you do to your body if you want to have people sustain a long period, uh, career. And another thing is, if you have skills, you have ground skills, wrestling skills, and striking skills. You don't need to worry about a bigger guy because there's always a chance in one of these departments where you're going to be faster and quicker than the guy. But again, he took the road to 155. He was also very, he was successful. But when he hit 170 and he said, I have energy for days, then he kind of it clicked in his head and he was like, I'm strong enough to hang, hang with these guys. They're, but I'm faster, I have more energy. Um, at the end of the day, he saw it, he felt it. And I think that was a, a very good step because, again, for, he has three losses. But two of his losses, one was to Rashid Magomedov, who was one of the most talented fighters, uh, never made it to the title. But I, I really thought at that moment in the UFC, Rashid was one of the cleanest strikers, really, really good fighter. And he, Dan Hooker, who's a really great fighter. And he loses a fight against a guy who, who got caught with pets, you know, a Brazilian guy... Uh, later on. So he didn't lose so many fights. He lost because of the weight cut. That's why, for me, in my eyes, uh, 170 was the go, always, from the start. And again, I'm not, a, I'm not a, some genius that knew everything from the start, but I just, I just like cutting weight doesn't do you so much good. Not, not in these days. Maybe 20 years before, but nowadays it will be different. Well, the same That's conversation... Go ahead. Oh, Sean, one second. John, you was at the first UFC number one. That's my coach, Gerard Godot. He was the biggest, but he kicked the sumo guy out in the first round. He was there, right? I mean, yep. the trainer, he was one, he was 90 kilograms, so doesn't say anything. 
Yeah, one of the one of the things is is talking with Mike Brown from American Top Team when he talked about Dustin Poirier. He said he from him going from one forty five to one fifty five, he was more durable. And now you're talking about with Gilbert Burns how he was at fifty five going to seventy now, and now he seems to have he's more durable. There's there's got to be some sort of correlation between the amount of weight you suck you know, out of your body and then get into fight night and your chin's not the same. We saw it a little bit with TJ Dillashaw when he went from 35 to 25. You know, those are shots that he took from Henry Cejudo that he normally can take. But when he dropped that weight, it wasn't there anymore. Him, you, you've you noticed the change in him. But do you see, and I'm not saying Usman needs to, but the size of Usman, the ability, and he does cut some weight. You see the potential in him potentially going up to 85 as well after Fit closing out this division if he's able to close out this division and continue on. Well, I, 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 uh, Kamaru is not a big. Uh, he looks big, of course. He yes, he's big, but he walks around. He walks around at one ninety or something like one eighty eight, one ninety. Got he, it. He, he walks around heavier than Kamaru. You know, I mean, it's really weird. But he's just genetic. He's a freak. I mean, yeah. look at him. these guys. It's not even fair. You know, they're just like genetic freaks and. Uh, and I don't think, I think what I would do, again, I'm not Kamaru and I'm not Gilbert, I'm not the champion in MMA, but I would just stay in my division, be dominant, make my money, and all these movers, like, you need to, again, if you have skills, you can do it. Like, Izzy, I think Israel will, will have a hard fight with uh, Blagovic, but he has the skills to beat people because of all the skills he has. I think Kamaru, most fights that I was with him, his consistency, his pressure, uh, again, like he fights exactly the way he lives his life. Everything he does with the right reasons. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He does exactly what to, and he knows how to win a fight. And, and if, if you know how to win a fight, that's the most important thing in fighting. It's not, it's just, there's a lot of stuff more, but if you know how to win a fight, if you know that you're winning a fight and you have that feeling, you get addicted to winning fights. It doesn't really matter how you win them, but you just, just get addicted to winning fights. And he has that. He has the momentum, and Gilbert needs to try to break that momentum, and it will be very difficult to do. But if somebody can, Gilbert is one of the guys who can do it. There's not a lot of people that I can see uh, can do something uh, that will bring Usman away from his path because it's been working for him, and it's been working well. Let's talk about the, the stable of fighters that you have. It's incredible. Let's flat out be honest. You have got, you, as you were talking about, you know, in Bellator, you got guys like Logan Storley and Jason Jackson, who's just doing a phenomenal job. You have Michael Chandler, who just went over to the UFC, and you've got guys like Camaro and Gilbert, and you have all of these personalities, and we all know that you know, to be that guy, to be that champion, a lot of times guys have to be kind of selfish. How is it that you get these guys, you along with Greg Jones and, and Kami and them, how do you get these guys to meld together because there's guys like Chandler who's he's in and out of the gym. And now you have Rory McDonald who just started at your gym. Also, how is it that you have been successful in getting all these guys to meld together? Well, I, and I, I, I really, again, I really think that the, I think the culture, I think people, people that come to us, they see, we have an open gym. Like, I don't mind. You can come to my gym. People can come to my gym. It's not a close thing, but I think the most important thing is um, that we don't have like uh Everybody trains at the same times. Everybody trains at the same hours. We don't have clicks. We don't have groups. We, we just don't allow uh, a group of Russians over there, a group of uh, Italians over there, Thai people. No, everybody trains on the same hours. 
And of course, if you got a big fight, we'll do some extra training with you. But it, most of the time is when the other group is training too. Um, we're just now starting a developmental group because we have a lot of guys. Um, and it's finding really cool because Nick Lance is going to be our head coach of developmental. He just uh, he just uh, stopped fighting. Uh, and, uh, and now he's one of our, our, our trainers on our team. So that's kind of cool. We try to get our coaching. We try to get our guys, Robbie Lawler, uh, Nick Lance, involved in... Uh, in, in, in guy, getting these guys to the next stage, trying to give them the the, the best platform and the best uh, facility for them to train. But to get all these guys together, I think there's no ego really between me, Greg Jones. Oh, you talk about Greg Jones, three-time All-American uh, champion, like two weight class, three-time NC2A champion. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we got to talk about Kami Bazzini, who was a head coach at at uh, ATT for so long. And, uh, and me, and then we have other guys like Tyrone. We have people in our gym walking by, uh, training with our, our guys. And there's just no room for ego. So, again, I, again, I, I, uh, we go back to Josh, too, because I've been to AKA, too. You have a certain period when you have a group of people together where you just feel that everything is good. Everybody connects. Everybody looks to the other side, sees another champion or a possible champion. And you need to be honest. Everybody on that mat is a business partner. Everybody helps each other out in the business. There can be only one champion, but if you can train next to the champion and you can see what he's doing, then you can get to that level. Also, the partners that we have, that we, that we partnered up, our sponsors, uh, Sanford, it's a health company. Uh, the way they invest in our team, it's not just throwing money to us. That's not the way it is. They're sponsors, but the Medicare, the medical care, the, the, the insurance for fighters that don't have insurance, young fighters, uh, try to educate them. I, I think with our gym, we're trying to get to the level where soccer and NBA and NFL already is. Trying to educate young fighters that you have to pay your bills, that you have to pay taxes, that you have to pay your insurance, that you have to pay 10% to the gym. Uh, and also, that's another thing we just talked about it, the gym business. It's not so easy. Other people say, oh, you have been training Kamaru forever. Now he's your champion. You start to make money and he goes away from you. We see that totally different, you know. We bring our sponsors and our partners in to make sure that the coaches are paid, you know. Everybody's paid. Uh, and so we don't need to deal with the fighters as coaches. Now, I'm, of, of course, a part owner of the business. But as coaches, we don't need to talk to fighters about money. You know, there's other people that take care of that. And that's a big difference. Another thing that I want to say is that I think trainers and coaches are... I, yeah, this is kind of funny to say. I was just went to Fight Island. It's funny for me to see that when I walk into the airplane and I'm 6'4", 240 pounds, and I sit in seat 62D while I see camera people and other people sitting business class while the train is just stacked in the back with like little lunch packets and sit there. I mean, I'm not a diva. I don't need to be business class. But when, when do we get a little re uh, recognition, you know? If you, have, if you bring champions to a company, if you see soccer, the first guy that's out of the bus is the head coach or who sits in the plane is the head coach. But in our sports, the trainers just needs to sleep in the garage downstairs of the gym. Well, not in our gym, you know. With our partners, they take care of us. They make sure that we have insurance. They make sure that we get paid on time. And they also make sure that other sponsors are helping us grow too. So we change the fighters' life. They change our lives. But it's, it's, it's hard because sometimes people don't see. People think it's, we all get rich when you have 17 UFC guys. They don't know what you have to put in in the gym. I'm, I'm every day. I'm in the gym from eight thirty to twelve, and in the evening from five thirty to eight thirty. And I fly. I, I do at least thirty shows a year. I wear thirty shows a year. I, I wear Reebok. I never get one penny for it. Never. 
I wear. I have to wear wear that sh- that that shit stuff the whole week. Wear like wear it like a clown, like everybody else, mm-hmm. and I don't don't get paid for it. But people don't understand it. Yeah, you know, like if there's no trainer and a fighter, there's no business. It's not the other way around. It's, it starts with a student and a teacher, and then the student becomes a fighter, and then the fighter becomes a prize fighter, and then he becomes champion, and then in between managers promotions come. They, they get all the money and the fame and then the trainer ends up like sitting in the back of the plane like he's there anyway. So yeah. I just had to because I want to make my point. It's not so easy to be a coach or a trainer. No, I can so I can touch on that a little bit as well. As I When the UFC had first bought Strikeforce, I had got into the plane leaving from Las Vegas after they'd brought us out for one of their summits in July, I believe it was. And I jump on the plane to head back, right? And you've got a bunch of the other people that are on the plane, a lot of the other fighters. Well, Nate Diaz is in front of me. There's me. And then I think it was like uh, Michael Johnson was behind me as well. We were all getting on the same plane. I think we're going to LA to separate and go somewhere else. Anyways, we walked past first class and you've got all the ring girls. You've got, obviously you got, you got Rogan who's in first, (laughs) but buffer. You've got all of the other people that are, that work for the company that specifically the ring girls, but you've got Nate, myself and Michael Johnson all walking back to just the coach. And so in the terms of what I can actually relate with what you were saying, when it comes to that, it's a frustrating situation. You're like, we are the fighters, the ones bringing you guys the product yet. We're not, we're not even sitting in business class. We're sitting, you know, in the far back, you know, and what'd you say? 39 D, you know, against, you know, in the middle seat potentially. So it's a little frustrating, those are the moments that you think of in terms of getting rich uh, from owning the gym, being a coach. It's just absolutely ridiculous. There's just it no, is. there's just no money at all involved whatsoever. But I do like the format that you were talking about in terms of, I do think that companies should stop probably trying to trying to get into the UFC and trying to sponsor those fighters as much in terms of sponsoring the gyms because you have to remember that all of the 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 promo videos they're all filmed in the gym you know and if the yeah. companies can start attaching themselves to these gyms whether it's Sanford MMA or whether it's AKA or whether it's you know whatever gyms are out there Trevor Whitman's gym you know other gyms that are out there i mean all the fighters are there i mean that it makes it, it makes more sense and i love to hear what you were just talking about with Sanford MMA providing them with you know medical insurance or at least being able to take them to South Dakota where you know Sanford uh health is there for them to have their their physicals, their whatever it is that they need to get done to make sure that they can fight. Those are things that I think we need to get into as a sport to start taking care of our athletes. And uh, it's good to hear. I like to hear that. Well, it's another thing that we just had a, and, and you guys had it. We just had a, one of our, our guys fighting in Bellator, Shamil Nikaev, the crazy fight where he tore everything. The, the young kid waited two years for his debut in Bellator. He tore every, everything in his knee, ACL. Your MCL, everything. He was flown into Sanford, got operated by one of the best orthopedic surgeons, Dr. Bradley Reeves, our guy, you know. Six and a half hours reconstructing a whole knee. A whole knee. Not just a simple surgery. A whole knee. Stayed in the hotel, started rehabbing there. They flew him over back to us. Stayed at the hotel. He's rehabbing now. He's now flown out back home because they're, uh, he's getting a child. Child's born. He comes back. And he will be followed nine months by these doctors in Sanford, by the health company in Sanford. That's the next step, you know. These people need to be treated like real athletes. That you cannot just leave people out there with with these knees. It's not, not possible. So we're so happy with with these partners instead of just. 
I'm not downplaying any other company, but a car company or whatever. That time is done. The real okay. corporate company, big companies, they're really one involved in MMA, like you said. Go to the fighters, go to the gyms, because we need that. We need big corporate companies to make this sport real, you know. Otherwise, fighters were always going to be underpaid and always going to be hurt and always going to be tired in fights, but end up, yeah, some of the fighters make good money, and I'm not complaining about it, but it's not, the fight career is very short. Your health is much more important. After health is so important, and we have that with Sanford, so that's why we're so happy with these people, you know. We can't, we can't stop talking about it because they're great. Henry, I got a question. You were, you were the head coach of one of my favorite fights that I ever did was the second fight between Eddie Alvarez, who you were the head coach for, against Michael Chandler, who now trains with you. Yeah. But I always say that one of the hardest jobs in MMA is being the trainer. It's one of the worst jobs. And when, one of the reasons it's one of the worst jobs is, and I'm going to take Nikayev, who you talked about, he had a fight against a guy named uh, Cameron Lashinoff. It was an incredible fight. In fact, I named it my favorite fight of the year based upon what they did. But I know that you did not teach Nikayev to fight the third round the way he did <laughs> or the way that Alvarez at times was fighting against Chandler. What is it like to sit in that corner knowing that you've got, you, you have worked with this guy, you know what he can do. You guys have gone over things that the other fighter can do. You have a game plan and then they completely go away from everything that you have gone over. I think, I think, uh, these are the best fights, really. I mean, <laughs> it, think, you think to yourself, we haven't been training, but when you when you fought yourself, uh, you know these moments. Are, I, I, I remember fights where I, where I got like, one of the fights, one of my biggest fights, I got, I got knocked out in Japan, 80,000 people, whatever. And I trained for that spinning back kick against Stefan Leko in the locker room the whole time. And... The rounds at three minutes, at two, two minutes and 37 in the first round, I got a spinning back kick right on my liver and I trained for it. And my coach was like, we just trained it in the locker room. I said, I know, but I got so confident in the fight that I forgot about what I had to do. So to translate that back, I mean, I wasn't at the Nikkei fight, but I know he's crazy, but not that crazy. That was crazy because even in the corner, Gilbert Burns was with him. He nearly got a heart attack. He's like, but he said he was so high on, on, on everything and the pain in his knee was like, I don't care anymore. Let's go. You know, and these moments are hard. Again, as a trainer, you have you have uh, you have a minute between rounds where you can sometimes help a fighter back or you can say some stuff when he's fighting. But I think a fighter knows what he wants to do. And I also know I also think that a fighter knows best what to do when it doesn't go his way or when he's hurt. Uh, so yeah, sometimes it goes away from you and you sit there and like you like you said they don't understand i go back to my my hotel room after the fight i'm not having a party it, it feels like i just fought i fight every two weeks every two weeks i'm going yep. back to the hotel room and i'm mm. tired i'm ready and i'm trying to drink to get myself to sleep <laughs> I, I, a guy, I have that feeling and and we do it that three times a year we do 30 times 30 times a year and, and, and another thing is 30 times a year you sit next to your your, your, your guy, and he's sad. He just lost the fight. He has one check, and he is already so much behind. And sometimes you sit next to the guy who just won, who's so happy. So for a trainer, it's a big uh, roller coaster. Mentally, it's draining. And again, people think you have the best job in the world. You travel, you're a movie star, whatever. Well, I wake everybody up. 
you sleep in a room, you wake up in the in, in an airplane, uh, you have a sad guy next to you or a happy guy next to you, and Monday the gym guy asks you the same thing. What do you think about the fight? You know? <laughs> thing, you know? Never change. So uh, Bellator just announced that they're moving to Showtime, and one of your fighters is fighting Yoel Romero, yes. which is Anthony Johnson. Anthony's come a long way um, from the U- from the beginning part of the UFC, but when he came back after his long time layoff, he was probably pushing about two eighty, I think, when he first came back. Now he's back down to a hundred and uh, or two hundred five, I should say. A hundred, huh? hundred, no, huh? no hundred, just <laughs> two. So we're in the twos, buddy. <laughs> But he was pushing probably about 285. I had seen him probably about six months before he had decided to come back. And I thought he was closer to 300. Uh, but he's he said he was around 285. What's the process been like to get his weight down, his training back on track? What have you seen from where he was before he left to now? What are those? What, what have you seen in the difference in him? I think he uh, he, he went away and when he... Uh... After his last fight, he went away. He, he, he was into bodybuilding and stuff. We still saw him at the gym sometimes. He, he came by and he was like, is that Anthony? Or Because <laughs> uh, uh, he's around always. But uh, then when he decided that uh, he still had that feeling and still uh, still wanted to fight, he slowly started uh, working with our strength conditioning coach that we have, Corey Peacock. And they worked a lot on, uh, on his weight, um, slowly were going down. and. The more he went down, the more I saw him in the gym. Sometimes we hit the pads a little bit just for like half an hour. Uh, and then sometimes he came in, he did a back train. Sometimes he came and slowly, slowly, when he told me what his plans were and what he wanted to do. And uh, we had a good talk. Like, do you really want to do this? Because you don't need to do anything. The only guy that really beat you was DC. And that's not a bad guy, you know? So why? And when he explained uh, explained us all at the gym, like, oh, I just want to be a part of you guys. I still want to train hard. And, and I still think uh, I got some fights in me. And then we said, just come train. Just train first and we will see what happened. And that that, that, that happened. Along the way, he came more. We saw him tra- uh, transition. His weight went down. Uh, he's walking around like 235 now, something like that. So there's a big difference. Uh, he was training more with, uh, with the strength conditioning coach. And, and now he's in the gym this morning. Uh, he was even... He was even wrestling this morning. So, uh, and, uh, but uh, he complains when he wrestles, but you need to push him there. But uh, no, he looks good. And I'm excited because I think, uh, I think Anthony still got some, uh, some, 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 some stuff that people want to see in him. And I think a fight with Joe Romero, uh, I think everybody wants to see that fight. You know, that will be, that will be crazy. And I, I really like the fact that they made it the first fight because, uh, I think uh, the explanation of uh, the gentleman, Scott Coker, that he said maybe they won't fight each other if I do it later on, I think that's very smart because that fight would be, uh, be a hell of a fight, man, between these two guys. They're two freaks, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so he's good. He's training, and um, I, think it, uh, I, think, I think it will be good uh, for him uh, to show that he's still got some, like, dynamite and in his hands and his legs. And, uh, and I think Joe also is... He's going to, I think they're going to stand up and bang. And hopefully uh, we'll see a great fight, you know. I can't wait for that fight, too. So you will be in the corner for that fight? I will be in the corner for that fight. There you go. That's what I want to hear. All right. I got one question left for you. In your gym, there's a young man that's there that's been training. You know about him. Nobody else does. Who's your next star coming out of your gym? Well... (laughs) 
You put first, him on the spot, John. <laughs> I know I had to. I had to. Come on. But, but like, first, I have to say our biggest shining star is Jason Jackson. That guy is incredible. I love him. Yeah. He's the, he is the spirit in our gym. That's why our gym is the way the gym is, because of him. He opens up his Rastama music in the morning. This guy cuts the coconuts for the guys after training. Freeze. It's an amazing guy. It's like he is, he is, and 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 watch out. He's gonna make some, he's gonna make some big moves. But uh, I think I think we got a couple of young guys that are have a wrestling background that's interesting. And I think uh two or three of them are uh, I think are now really good training partners from one from our, our top fighters, and I think one of one of, of these three guys will make a big splash. But again, like I said, like I just said, uh, they have people texting me, uh, can I come in tomorrow and can I do a tryout? Because we always do a tryout for a week or two uh, so just to see if, if where they at, but also to see if they connect with the guys. Um, and also Costello from Stainless is from Holland is uh, with us. He's in Bellator too. He's very wow. talented, very talented, strong guy. Yes, he is. Uh, so a real one name I can't say, but I think that we have a couple of guys, especially in, uh, uh, on the Bellator side, that will be uh, will be exciting this year. Logan, Logan lost a very close fight. Yes. If he uh, he finally he finally punched somebody's mouthpiece out, if he gets a little trust in these hands because he has them, I see it. He has them. Then uh, no, we got a bright we got a bright future at 170 at World Away too. So uh, like I said, guys, it's waves in the gym. It's going really well, so let's enjoy this all together in the gym. And there will be times that we sit and talk together and people leave because they're not happy. But one thing I will say, this gym stands and the trainers will be there and we'll not go end up where one day we will fly business class right next to these guys. I will, I will promise you that. I'm going to ask you one last question before you go, okay? And um, yes. it's probably going to be the toughest one ever. Burns or Usman, give me the prediction. <laughs> can't do that to you coach come on coach i can't do that to you <laughs> uh, uh, no but uh, the best man will win josh yes best man will always win on fight night doesn't matter who it is. best man will win well i want to thank you for coming on thank you for spending so I, I i had tweeted i think we had tw i had tweeted one of our messages and you had commented on it and john and i were talking and it was like hey i wanted to make sure you understood i wasn't trying to say that there was a rift because i'm not trying to be the ufc uh where you're trying to build that rivalry i just wanted to i've been in that situation in the gym when we had like i said when we had john fitch koscheck and mike swick and then I also went through it a little bit as well. After I fought Nate, it was me and Khabib and Gray Maynard. We were all kind of in that little top 10 talk. And they were like, oh, what about Khabib? You're going to fight him. And it was like, it was just, there was a lot. People were trying to start rivalries that weren't there. And we went back through all of this when, um, when you started seeing with John Jones and Rashad and other people that, you know, GSP was at, you know, Gray Jackson as well. And things just didn't seem like it was handled well. And they all yeah. kind of dispersed out of Gray Jackson's for a little bit, you know, from Diego Sanchez to, you know, Cowboy. Everyone kind of started trickling out. And so yeah. I just wanted to see how this was handled. And John and I were talking about having you on to, to give the explanation. And, and this, you're, you handled it pretty much exactly how Javier handled it. It was like, hey, everyone sit down. If, if, if it means you're going to fight for the title, I could see two guy, two number one contenders fighting to see who gets to the title. But preferably, we want both guys to fight for the title. 
There has to be a champion. The championship money, it changes your life. It makes it different for your family. No coach, nobody should tell somebody else that they can't. And I felt like you guys handled it perfectly. And I, I wanted to get it out of your mouth specifically because that's how stuff gets through tweets and text messages and stuff. It just gets translated wrong. And I'm glad we were able to have you on and have you actually say what you needed to say to make sure it was clear that everyone understands, you know, that they're not watching the UFC promo going, yeah, there's a rift and they're going to, you know, it's not like that. And uh, these, like you said, they're business partners, you know, and it's great to hear. Oh, uh, like I said, again, one more time, it's not, if you have a good gym and people are good, <laughs> they end up fighting each other. And again, like I said, if other trainers or so-called trainers, whatever they call themselves, think that, uh, that uh, you not have a team and teammates fight each other, then they probably need to step up their game and get a couple of better fighters in the gym because, if you have a good team, you have a good team. It's in soccer too. Not everybody can play. Sometimes the best players play, but the other one plays. And we can't, you know, we open the doors. We want to train everybody. So hopefully everybody understands. If they don't understand, they don't understand. You know, we're doing what we're doing. Henry, I want to tell you, thank you for coming on the show. You have always been a pleasure to be around. You and all of your coaching staff in the back at fights, in the locker room. You're always a just a joy to be around, and you're such an outstanding coach. Thank you for your time. We do appreciate it. Okay, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, see you soon, guys. Thanks, Henry. You take care. All right. Well, we want to thank Coach Hoof. That was fantastic. What did you think? He said he wasn't going to watch the fight. Do you believe him, Josh? What a liar. Thank what a liar. That's <laughs> <laughs> like he's got to. It's going to get closer and closer to that time. He's going to go, I've got to, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'll text him a link. You know what's going to be funny, right? It's going to probably not. He'll probably watch all the fights up until the co-man, and then he just won't be able to turn it off. I think he's going to be like, I, I can't turn it off. He's, he's going to have to watch. But here's the other thing. He probably already knows what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. outside of, you know, like a fluke, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a sure. knockout or a submission or whatever it is, outside of that, he's seen it happen over 100 times, on, you know, on a daily basis. So I mean, he probably already knows what the outcome is going to be. Or at least he's got a, a, he's good, got a idea. good idea. He's got a pretty good idea. He's like, ah, why watch it? I'm going to watch it, you know, eventually down the road when they come back to the gym and they're training all the time together, hopefully. So who knows? You know, I mean, uh, he look, he said a lot of things that a lot of coaches are always thinking, you know, I mean, from from, you know, making sure the fighters get paid a little bit more money. Making sure, you know, trying to talk about how coaches don't get enough credit in terms of, yes, they get credit on the on the big stage. But you got a guy who's six three, six four, like he is, you know, flying coach in in section, you know, thirty nine D, which is the middle C. Yeah, Big John here. You know what I mean? So you, there's a lot of things that I think owning a gym, one of the most successful gyms in the world, with a plethora of fighters that are just at the top of the food chain. I mean, they just don't get the credit they deserve, you know. And uh, there's that gym. There's Greg Jackson's, you know. There's AKA. There's you know, um, Khabib's got his gym now over in Russia. Those guys, I mean, you got SBG. There's a lot of top coaches. I mean, James, well, James Krause also. He's got a good group of guys there. I mean, there's a lot of great gyms all around, ATT. But they don't get the recognition they deserve, the coaches that put in the time and the effort and the work into all the guys and girls um, that, that they train and work with. And so he brought up a, a lot of good points that people need from the outside need to look in. And fighters, you guys need to recognize that your coaches are doing this because there's a lot of there's a, a lot of toll on his body to hold for someone like a 
like an Anthony Johnson, you know, and, you know, whatever, Michael Chandler and Usman and Burns. And think about how many rounds he holds a day and how his body gets beat up. His shoulders and elbows have got to be just destroyed. Yeah. I mean, it's not to horrible. mention he he fought kickboxing himself for years, yep. for years. You know, I mean, so his body is probably just taking its toll, and and the fact that he's still putting his fighters first and doing the right things for them. He said a lot of great things in this interview, and and uh, if you guys, when you guys are, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Absolutely loved it. Well, John, it was a pleasure. I had a great time tonight. Actually, Isn't it always nerding out with you as always? <laughs> and um, I got to tell you. In the whole, to go brush over everything, I'm excited about Showtime. I'm excited about the future of Bellator now that they have a home, now that we have a home. And I'm excited about what's coming up in the UFC as well as all the fighters that are potentially fighting, um, you know, avoiding any injuries or COVID situations. But you know what, John? This year is going to be a freaking amazing year because last year was fucking shitty. And so I'm pumped for 2021, baby. Well, I, want, I agree with you completely except for the fact that I do want to say the year 2020 was an amazing year as far as the fights that we were able yeah. to see based upon the performances of the fighters who went out there and put it all on the line. Man, they put on some incredible fights throughout the entire year. And uh, just want to tell all those fighters, thank you. You guys are awesome. And what else? Well, if you're going to get into the end, the last thing that we have always got to say to everyone out there is, this is the end of the Weighing In Podcast this week, and we will see you.